Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. I, where are you? I'm scared. It's dark in here. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the mountains in North Carolina. I'm hanging out with a with a bear, an actual bear, not a real, not not the other uh, type of bear. I was like, I was <laughs> like, okay, relax. I it's a family show. I can't go to bears in space this week. It's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that, I think I think Derek's there this weekend. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> hey guys, this is the mixed reviews. We're a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre, and we give you a big history, and then we say, "This is trash. This is trash. This is trash." Ooh, I like this. <laughs> Mama, this is trash. But you know what? Sometimes we find some gems in there. We uh, truly do. So we mix up those reviews. We don't like keeping our guests hiding in the wings for too long. Um, so why don't, uh, Gavin, who do we have here with us today? Why, I see in this dark <laughs> North Carolina cave. <gasps> Could it possibly be the first guest we ever had on the show? Why, it's Dan Mecca. Back, back, back again. <laughs> I forgot I was the first guest. This is so great to be back. Wow. The yeah. what's what's even better is you are technically the first time that anybody has come back to do the full show. Yes. Okay. We've had people on multiple times to do like Chris and Joe came on to do a review of Widows, and Christy came on to talk about South by Southwest. Uh, both Chels and Morgan have been on to talk about specific movies, but this is the first time anybody's come to do the gauntlet with us again. Like a yes. second filmography. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the first but, one you did was so, so good. Oh, thank you. Wait, can I just tell you what's funny that we're recording this in honor of the Jane Fonda, which was the first episode that was the other episode I was on. Mm-hmm. As we are speaking, the final episodes of Grace and Frankie are now available on Netflix, a wow. show that I watched for the recording of Jane Fonda and continue <laughs> to watch. <laughs> and and we, I will finish. I will finish the series now that it's available. You, it it all is because of mixed reviews. Yeah, I got hooked. I did. I I will say it is a show I also watched four episodes of and then stopped. <laughs> you said thank you so much. I'm out of here. Um, Kelly Kelly's always like. Oh, that show! Yeah, you watch it. Like she says it, like the way you would say, like if your if your partner like had a weird hobby, like oh yeah, you make airplanes, or like oh yeah, you like it's just like that's how she she's like that weird thing you do that I don't like thinking about. Yeah, right, Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, before we get into uh, our our new episode, this current episode, and why uh, uh, we're Dan's back with us today, we have some old business to take care of. Um, our last episode, we talked about uh, Gavin's favorite episode. <laughs> he he got so much pleasure out of watching for it. Um, it you was know what? Body- though, after we did that episode, we swapped bodies, and I learned a lesson. So you know he what? Learned- I was yeah, wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. We like touched foreheads, made a wish, um, an eclipse happened, and we swapped. We asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite body swap movie, and here are the results. Um, so I made this poll when I was like kind of sick, and I'm not saying that I forgot my five star review, but I was just feeling in a wish upon a star type of way. Um, regardless, wish upon a star came in at last place with 16%. Um, we got a, a strong showing for other. Um, we got a write-in for the original Freaky Friday. And and once again, once again just as a reminder to the audience, because Other bothers me so much, because if you're going <laughs> to vote for Other, tell us what you're voting for. Guys, you're making Gavin mad. You're making yeah, Gavin really mad. I am mad. so mad, you guys. <laughs> um, we actually got 
you know, someone saying Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold, hello, which was my pick, so vice versa, it was, is in there. Um, and then Freaky Friday 2003's version came in in second place with 27%, and Gavin's fucked up little pick, three women, I, with 29%. Oh, I, wow, that won the poll, Gavin? Yeah. Yeah, no, I it, d- d- no idea how that happened. I color so me. I so you know. I listen. I I'm a, I'm a, I listen to every episode. I'm a big fan. You guys do great work. Um, let me just say, I I and I mean this sincerely. I listen to a decent amount of film podcasts. Obviously, I run my own with Lovely Connor, the B side on the film stage. But like probably most people with most podcasts, after a certain amount of time. I will usually take a break. You know, you just kind of go like, okay, you yeah. know what? I'm going to take a couple months off here, like, you know, and I'll come back and whatever. You know, I listen to some sports podcasts, same thing. You guys, I have to say, I've never done that. I'm oh. always, Every time it comes up, I listen immediately. I love the podcast. I've never been like, I need a break. I don't, I don't need a break. I never need a break from you guys. Aww. I mean it. Say more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, oh, I, I, oh, start. Oh, start. Continue. <laughs> I think that has a lot to do with like we we are a, a sweet treat, you know, coming to you, but twice a month, um, if yeah. that, yeah, uh, if that. maybe I get because we do we we're similar. B side, we do it's like biweekly too. I right, so so I guess yeah, but you guys do it right. You guys do it, yeah, biweekly slash monthly if it's like a bigger subject, right? So yeah. I guess I guess that, but take the compliment though. I don't no, know. I, you guys, I, I you guys are lovely. Do. Yeah, you guys I know what you're doing. Absolutely do. Thank you guys you. know what you're doing. This is not all meant to be a love fest because, you know, we're the mixed reviews. Sometimes we mix up the reviews and everything. But you and Connor are such lovely, insightful people that oh. I never have a problem listening to. And also, by the way, both amazing voices as well. And I, I think I've told you both that before. I love listening to you guys. We will we'll, we'll agree. We'll agree on Connor's voice. We will agree <laughs> on Connor's voice for sure. He has a he has a beautiful, beautiful voice. Him and him and my wife, uh, Kelly, who who does voiceover and did, did voiceover in New York, she they both have great voices. So I feel like I'm surrounded by like people who are way better aud- audibly than I am. So but it's all right. I try. I try. You do go. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's Thank good. You. Thank you. Um, Gavin, I, I believe we have a, another five-star review that we're going to read today. We do. So at the end of every episode, I mentioned that you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review. And we got another one. And this one is from Coco2121. Uh, and it's entitled Fun. And it says, I've been meaning to write this review forever. I love this podcast. I learn something new each episode and get movies to add to my, quote, must-watch list. Gavin and Louie are incredibly charming and strike a perfect balance between informative and irreverent. Love it. (laughs) I thought she said irrelevant. (laughs) That's just me, babe. I was like, fair, fair. Fair. Uh, I've been saying that to Gavin for years. <laughs> uh, but thank you. We we appreciate that so much. I'm I'm learning every episode. Let let me just <laughs> run and tell that. Okay. Uh, especially, I mean, I don't know if that's a, a good segue or not into our in this episode. But I learned a lot, and I think I'm going to learn even more because this is someone that I was not too familiar with outside of you know we'd seen a couple of his movies. Um, for other episodes. So, uh, Dan, why don't you tell our listeners uh, why we have gathered here on this day? Yeah, so the subject today is Warren Beatty, who, Louis, it's funny you say that because I think a lot of people probably are like you in that respect where he, so Warren Beatty broke out in 61, and I know we'll, we'll go through his whole history, but for 
I would say two, three decades, he was a legit bankable movie star in Hollywood and one of the more famous people even kind of writ large in the industry. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The last three decades, I don't know that many people would even really know who he is, right? right. He kind of made only a handful of movies. None of them were really successful. We can kind of talk about that. But if you know him, at, probably now, you know him as the 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 famous slash infamous Lothario that he was for many years right. before before he married Annette Benning, who's right. probably more famous now than he is, right? Or I would argue people might know him from the La La Land M- Moonlight. Oh my God, of course. <laughs> oh my God, yes, of course, his, of course. His most famous role of the aughts. Right. Um, Which is funny and, because no one's ever going to remember that now. <laughs> right, right. It's so weird, right? Yeah. So the Will, as we're recording, the Will Smith slap heard around the world happened a few days ago. But yeah, you're right. Totally, of course. Yeah, Warren Warren Beatty and uh, his Bonnie and Clyde co-star Faye Dunaway were the ones who misread. Now, here, here's the thing: they misread. Right? Faye Dunaway said La La Land. It was Moonlight. We all know this. What's funny is. <laughs> It's really Warren really throws her under the bus if you watch the clip because <laughs> oh, yeah. he opens the envelope and he clearly is confused because he's seeing what we now know was Emma it said Emma Stone won right right, right. For yes. actress and so he like is like it looks like he's hamming it up like you know <laughs> with Faye and making him wait and Faye like thinks he's doing that and then grabs the envelope and says La La Land and like just he's like I'm not saying anything girl you can say whatever you want (laughs) and what's so crazy and here's what's so crazy about that Warren Beatty is one of our great I mean he was a movie star for sure but I'd argue the thing he did best was produce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny because if you're a producer, right? right. Like, 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 was it Jordan Horowitz who ended up cleaning up the situation? Like a good producer. It's crazy that Beatty, producer extraordinaire, was just like, nah, I'm just gonna like not let do it, anything. Let it ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. I mean, especially as if he's like someone who's like part of the Hollywood pantheon of like totally. And and he even he on the Oscar stage was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Uh, it's like it's it's very bizarre that he didn't feel comfortable enough to like be like what the fuck's going on. I think you're right about that too. It like that's his true power. He Calling, is yeah. very good at being in command of the moment and being in command of himself as a, a vessel. Maybe maybe not the best actor in the world. We'll get into it. Yeah, but, yeah. but like knowing you know, what is the right move and what is the right next thing? And he's shrewd. He's a shrewd guy. Yeah. Oh, you know. And, and yeah. so it's funny. I've never thought about that. And thank you for saying that actually, uh, because that just a, makes me laugh. Right. Yeah. Because that, it's, it's a funny thing. When you, and, and look, he's older, obviously, right. As we're recording, he's 85, right. It's like, he's an older gentleman. Um, he's actually literally tomorrow's his birthday. Isn't that funny? Oh, Whoa. I'm We're totally not going to be able to get this episode out in time for no, that. No, no, I'm just saying, but, but just for, for for the world, right? March 30th, whatever, you know, breaking the breaking the fourth wall. But but that's just funny as we're so so he's 86 as you're listening. Well, I'm excited to get into Warren. Um, you know, I watched a lot of movies. I didn't catch them all, but like he's got like a very bizarro, kooky career. And so, uh, Gavin, why don't you take it away? Absolutely. So let's get into that rewind. 
Warren Beatty was born March 30th, 1937. As Dan just lovingly put, he will be 86 by the time you hear this episode. And by that, I mean the age 86 and not 86th. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He was born in Richmond, Virginia. His mother, Kathleen Corinne. She was a teacher from Nova Scotia. And his father, Ira Owens Beatty, was a teacher and a school administrator in addition to dealing real estate. Most people know this. Beatty's older sister is actress Shirley MacLaine, also singer-dancer. I had no idea. Did you really not? No idea. I I was like... What? (laughs) (laughs) I read a funny interview with him where an interviewer sat down and was like, you know, my mom still refers to you as Shirley MacLaine's younger brother. And he laughed and he was like, you know, I know somebody else who thinks that Shirley MacLaine. (laughs) Beatty became interested in movies before his teens uh, when he often accompanied his sister to theaters. One film that had an important early influence on him was The Philadelphia Story, which he saw when it was re-released in the 50s. He thought that Catherine Hepburn, like, looked like his mom. Another film that he loved was 1939's Love Affair, directed by Leo McCary, and it starred one of his favorite actors, Charles Boyer, which I think says a lot about Warren's acting style. Um, yeah. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> he, he found the film, quote, deeply moving, and he recalls, quote, this is a movie I always wanted to make, and spoiler alert, he will. So... <laughs> He say hey, certainly will. <laughs> Among his favorite TV shows in the 50s was the Texaco Star Theater, which uh, for those that don't know, Texaco Star Theater was essentially like a weekly theatrical program where there'd be different stories each week and it'd almost be like a live to tape theater show. Um, and sometimes I think things got spun off from it. Sometimes there were pilots on it as well. But for the most part, it was these sort of live theatrical performances. So I I totally get why he loved that. Shirley MacLaine, who remembers him often reading books by Eugene O'Neill and singing Al Jolson records. He was very much a product of the pop culture of his time and of the previous decades, which I think plays into what we're going to get because we're we're like speeding towards his movie career, but like he's very much a classical leading man for sure before getting into the like new Hollywood stuff that, you know? Yeah. That's well said for sure. McLean has also said that her brother had wanted to become a filmmaker and he would sometimes write, produce and direct in his, in short films. She said, quote, that's why he's more comfortable behind the camera. He's in the total control aspect. He has to have control over everything, which I can just imagine my sister saying about me. So <laughs> Beatty has never denied that need. Uh, in speaking of his earliest parts, he said, quote, when I acted in films, I used to come with suggestions about the script, the lighting, the wardrobe. And people used to say, what do you want to do? Produce the picture? And I used to say, I suppose I did. Well, I make films, and whether I make them as the producer or the actor-producer or the writer-actor-producer, I don't know. I intend to direct when I'm not acting, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I almost directed Shampoo, and I almost directed Bonnie and Clyde, and each film, at, at, toward the end of the uh, preparation period, I realized that I would be better off in having an additional stable mind there mm-hmm. to work in this group situation. I'm, I, I am very much a proponent of the group experience in yeah. films. I don't, I'm not what you would call a great advocate of what the Cahiers de Cinema would call the auteur sure. theory in film. If I produce a film, I, I, I like to think that I'm at the helm. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to pontificate on, on your show about this Fine. because you're editing and I'm not. And so 
I want to be very clear about what I say. Imagine, I mean, it's like the, the, the most annoying. Just I, I recently just um, rewatched uh, Funny Girls. I'm just like s- struck by like these characters who are like, hi, Mr. Ziegfeld, what if I did this instead? Like, it's like, <laughs> you are nothing. You are nobody. Um, and it's the same thing here with him. And I guess that's just the power of, I don't know, being as attractive as he was and uh, being a white dude. I don't know. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, like, so I'm even I'm even looking here. He played football in high school. And it yeah, reminds yeah. me of that thing that people say, which is it's a sociological thing. Why are so many quarterbacks so handsome? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a co- there has to be a correlation there. And the, I you know, genuinely in, never thought about that. But you're right. <laughs> you know, and in point, in fact, it's because right there is a confidence that comes with being tall and handsome. Right. If you're like a Warren Beatty. And I think right. that speaks to to be a quarterback. Right. In that scenario, you have to be a leader of men, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, what have you. So that's why, like Tom Brady, right, Jimmy Garoppolo, like a lot of these people, they're very good looking people. And it's that's part of it right and that kind of like also spilled out obviously into his like love life which was oh god yeah i mean he was <laughs> kind of the er tabloid man you know just like <laughs> laid the groundwork for every person um sp- certainly for every guy out there who was just being the lothario he was fodder for the tabloids for decades and i think he loved it i'll be perfectly oh, yeah. honest i i don't think it ever I don't think he ever saw it as a negative. I think he saw the sort of like, you know, all news is good news. My name's still in the press. I'm still getting what I want. And so I don't I don't think he ever was like, uh, you know, taking another lady out. Uh, right. I, all those photographers are going to be there. It's going to be terrible. Gavin, would you say that um, Warren is fits perfectly into the uh, movie star category? Oh, a one hundo. So as Dan Mecca mentioned he was a football star at Washington Lee High School in Arlington. Um, and he's seeing his sister become this famous person. You know, she's going out. She becomes a Hollywood star, a household name. And he's like, I can do that. So he's, he, like, hmm. <laughs> he's like, aren't I pretty too? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so he starts to work as a stagehand at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. during the summer before his senior year. And then after graduation, he was supposedly offered 10 college football scholarships, but turned them all down to go study liberal arts at Northwestern. Gay. <laughs> Just kidding. I can make that joke. It's fine. Um, he joins a fraternity there and then drops out. And he moves to New what? York City. <laughs> That's literally it. Um, he, he moves to New York City and he starts working on acting, studying under Stella Adler at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting. We've talked about famous acting coaches on this podcast before. Stella Adler, very famous. Uh, you've heard her name. It is important to know how to act. And to to have a technique for acting, and uh, and it's a, it's a, a giant help to putting a story together and a movie together if people know how to act and don't mm-hmm. just do things by accident and don't don't uh, and, and don't just depend on adroit editing yeah. to get a performance. His star starts starts to rise uh, when he starts working on these once again these like live TV 
basically stage shows that are shot in film. He works on Studio One, Craft Television Theater, Playhouse 90, that's 57 to 59. And then he gets cast as a semi-regular on The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis during its first season from 1959 to 1960. How many suits did you say you had? Oh, well, I'd have to check. I mean, I really couldn't say offhand. All I can tell you is that my closet is 16 feet long. Oh, God! So, would you like to come over after school and uh, take a look at my suits? Oh, could I? Oh, now, just a minute. But during this time, he also lands a Broadway role uh, Mm. in which he performs in William Inge's A Loss of Roses on Broadway, and it garnered him a 1960 Tony Award nomination for Best Featured Actor in a Play. So crazy. Suspicious, at best, I would say. I'm very suspicious (laughs) about what what happened. And he wins a 1960 Theater World Award. Uh, (gasps) This is his only appearance on Broadway. Yeah, he never goes back to the stage. I love that's the he's like Anthony Hopkins. Like the minute he becomes famous, he's like, no, I'm not going back to the stage. Yeah, no. Exactly. He's like, like I'm out. He's See like you. eight times a week? Nah uh Seriously. So he makes his film debut in 61 in Ilya Kazan's Splendor in the Grass, opposite Natalie Wood. Uh this film's huge. Beatty gets nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor and receives the award for New Star of the Year actor from the Golden Globes. The film is also nominated for two Oscars and it ends up winning one. I the- forgot how much that movie, I rewatched it for this. I forgot how much it affected me. I was like weeping two nights ago <laughs> really? rewatching it. I love, we'll talk about it. I love Spun in the Grass. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was like, this movie is horny, 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 horny. <laughs> horny it's the a, movie. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. It's like, I don't, I would be hard pressed to think of another movie that so perfectly captures what young love mm. can feel like. I was reminded, yeah. I was like, wow, yeah, that is what it's like. Like, but I yeah. was like, but not just young love, young lust. I mean, this is a lust, very, lust, as well said, lust. This yeah, is a well very frank, surprisingly frank for 1961 movie about sexual repression. Oh, yeah. And the shit Natalie Wood has to do. Oh, my God. Like, I think this is maybe Natalie Wood's best performance. I, and the I, same year as West Side Story is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I I had never seen this before, and I was just like... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was just like, what is happening i also love a good a movie when they do like a good literary reference you know yes and so like yeah having, true having her in the classroom and she's like what does the poem mean and she's like i don't know and freaking <laughs> out and then like they they say it over again in the splendor of the grass i was like all right that worked real like that was clean clean <laughs> i guess we should explain a little bit about the plot of splendor and the grass but it's it's literally a, a movie about a, a young man and a young woman in love and and but their love is so horny that they basically can't be together because society's like, no, don't do that. Right. I mean, I think a lot of it is like Natalie Wood and she is, her character is uh, grappling with the expectations. Her mom is like, you didn't let anyone go too far, did you? And just like the whole idea that like society's telling you, you are not good. You are broken. You are unclean. You are right. bad if you have sex. Um, and and meanwhile, he's like, I feel like a crazy person because I want to fuck all the time and does that make mm-hmm. me bad and yeah. um complicated relationships with moms and dads that he has a sister who's a loose woman the um, great the great barbara loden who went on to direct wanda you know yes who, yeah, she's so, a fucking right. amazing movie 
She's great. Yeah. And there's just like, I love, I love these movies where it's like, you have all these, like, it's like a chess board, you know, and everyone has like their really specific job and what they represent. Um, So yeah, I agree, Dan. Uh, This movie kind of rocked my world. I've never seen it before. Now, bud. Dini, you're a nice girl. I'm not. Now, come on, Danny. We're going to go back inside. No. Come on. No, I don't want to go back inside. Danny, Danny, I want to stay here Danny, with you. Danny. I want you. Danny, this isn't the way it should be. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why Danny, don't you love Why don't you? Danny, where's your pride? My pride. My pride. <laughs> oh, I don't Danny, want my pride. Stop it. Stop it, Danny. Stop. Oh, go on. Go on. I Danny. haven't any pride. I haven't any pride. Oh, God, oh. Danny. This sort of starts off a, a string of uh, associations for Warren Beatty. And, and once again, uh, I think Beatty is great in Splendor in the Grass. I think what you're going to see after this, and maybe this is where we should bring in the conversation about star versus actor. I think this movie fully cements him as a movie star. <laughs> and therefore, he doesn't have to work as hard at being an actor after this. Right. Well, unfortunately, he's... Just so fucking attractive. Yes, like, <laughs> that's literally it. The body, the face, the hair, the smolder. Like, he doesn't have to do a lot. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, after working with Kazan, uh, he starts he, this association with, like, a string of of high-class directors. Directors that, like, were household names. Eventually, during the Kennedy Center Honors for Kazan, you know, tells him that he gave him the most important break in his career. The wonderful advantage that I had with Kazan is that he did my first picture. Yeah. So that my training in movies came from Kazan. My training, my the disciplines came from Kazan. These two people could not have been more dissimilar. Um, Peter Biskind in his book about Warren Beatty said, it was mentor versus protege, director versus actor, immigrant ver- outsider versus native son. Uh, Kazan was armed with the confidence born of age and success, while Beatty was virtually aflame with the arrogance of youth. Mm. And and I think that's really what happens post this movie. You know, he wins that award for Best New Star off his very first film. He's just burning bright. And so he immediately wants to work with the best people that he can possibly work with and put out the movies that he thinks are going to make the most money and keep his name on people's lips. But I think the next string of movies... Not a lot of them are great. It's a Colin Farrell story a little bit, right? Like, oh, that's a good Col- comparison. Colin Farrell never became Warren Beatty in terms of like movie star, right? But I, th- I think you, there's a corollary, right? Where it's like, oh my God, who is this guy? This movie's great. Let's remember Ily Kazan at this point, sullied, sullied though his reputation was because of you know naming names to the house on american activities (laughs) he was a genius right and he had already made right on the waterfront and some other real literal masterpieces right east of eden whatnot kazan is the guy who directs james dean and one thing watching and re-watching these baby performances that i was reminded of is how much all the young men were clearly being told slash trying to just do their version of James Dean. Absolutely. And you can see, because we just did Paul Newman on the B-side, in a lot of these movies, because you're you're so right, Gavin, like the, literally the next six movies, right? Yeah. Like uh, they fail, basically, right? None of them are very good. And he's clearly searching for that next thing and maybe n- not searching hard enough, right? In some cases, like, like you're kind of saying... 
And I literally wrote my notes like he's searching for Clyde Barrow. Like you can, yeah. you can tell he doesn't want to be like Francho Tone or like you know uh, like a like an Elvis Presley at the time or like like a, like just a handsome right. you know piece of meat. He's clearly trying to subvert it, and but the movies you know they don't work. Some some of them are like actively fighting against that. And I think once he gets to Bonnie and Clyde, he figures it out. I didn't watch every one of these in, in this little time chunk. Um, I think I, I saw Lilith, which, you know, has a little <laughs> bit of edge to it, but it's yeah. mostly just and probably the Probably the most respected of these, I'd it, say. I was just going to say one of the better ones out of them. Yeah. Robert Rawson's second to last movie, who is a good kind of underrated filmmaker. He did The Hustler. And, you well, know, he... and if we're if we're going to talk about it, I mean, there's two films beforehand. But if we're jumping right to Lilith, I do want to say there's palpable evidence that Warren Beatty led like helped lead to Robert Rawson's death. So, yes. Like, I so, read that. Yeah. So like the stress that he put on this oh, man. Sorry, it was it was his last film. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I misspoke. Yeah. It, the stress he put on this poor man. Real quick. I, I love the point you made up about searching for Clyde Barrow because I do think it's very clear, especially in the Tennessee Williams, the Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone, where he's playing kind of a oh. bad guy. All fall down where he's playing a truly bad guy. And oh I, my God. I, I, I do want to come back to those. But oh, uh, yeah. but Lilith specifically uh, where he's playing kind of a, a t- like a not good guy but like torn Torch- about the uh, torture searching yeah. yeah yeah and and because of this and because of his lack of confidence of of his performance he was doing things like cutting his own lines from the script but you can so, tell you can tell in Lilith. you can tell <laughs> like that's insane i don't think i've really dialogue. seen yeah i like don't there's not many movies I've seen like that where he's the lead and there are sequences where you're like, oh, so Gene Seberg is just going to like keep talking, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. And thank God she's great in it, but it's just funny. It's like, it's that he, yeah, anyway. I had never seen her out of a French, a French film. Yeah. And I was really impressed by her because she does. A lot of heavy lifting in Lilith. Lilith, which is a film about psychology and psychosis, and and she's really going through it for most of it. And he's sort of manipulating that situation. He's like a man coming back from war who like, I he's don't like know. A vet. <laughs> he's yeah. like, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, I just want to like <laughs> hang out and like, I never had a job before, but maybe I can like, I don't know, hang out with these patients. It is, isn't it funny? A nice thing about watching movies from the past is they're time machines, right? Like when you watch movies, even if they're not great. They are time machines because even if they're fiction, you're getting a glimpse of what it was like in some capacity. And I think with the Lilith, Lilith, what's funny is it does highlight like the complete lack of respect that like psychoanalysis got in 64 where like in that movie – Nobody thinks twice about like, oh, here's a vet who's clearly tortured coming back. Yeah, we'll let him just like be an orderly at this like, yes, like yeah, yeah. you know, at this like sanitarium. Like it'll be fine. Oh yeah, you're right. you're hanging out with Lilith. Lilith. None of us want to deal with her. So yeah, you go ahead and just deal with the most right. complicated uh, patient <laughs> we have. A guy who walked in, we walked in off the street four days ago. It's like, right, and like they're like the hottest people like right, anyone's right, ever right. seen. It's like yeah, guys, like. Hang out by yourself. See what happens. Do you feel she's trying to seduce you? Well, it's not that simple. I, I'm, uh... Well, you could call it that, but it, but it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not just a physical thing. It's it's much uh, much more than that. Uh, 
I'm not sure what it is that she's trying to offer. It's almost like she wants to share this magic little world of hers. And, uh, I don't know, does that all sound strange to you? No, it doesn't sound strange. It isn't unknown, you know, for patients to seduce personnel and vice versa, unfortunately. Real quick, you know, 61, Roman Springer, Mrs. Stone, previously mentioned, uh, he plays <laughs> a male sex worker, if you will. He's so bad in this movie. It's one of the worst performances <laughs> I've ever seen an actor give. He gives, yeah. he's 100% Gaga Italian accent. Like, <gasps> No, yeah. but, but, but it's such a discredit to Stephanie. To, yes. To, <laughs> to your good friend Stephanie. To, to Steph, to NYU Steph, to even say that though because gaga has a handle on it at least like in in some you know capacity whatever warren's doing god bless him in this one it's not working yeah do you know she is so famous that she has to wear dark glasses so that people won't recognize her last night Senora Stone. And then 1962's All Fall Down, directed by John Frankenheimer. And once again, another really famous director. Yeah. And he he plays the troubled son of Angela Lansbury and Carl Malden, uh, who his younger brother idolizes him. And his younger brother gets involved with an older woman, Eva Marie Saint, uh, who's just gorgeous in everything that she does. And then Warren Beatty sort of seduces her and tragedy befalls from there. That movie reminded me of the stuff that we invariably end up talking about when we talk about Adam Sandler movies on this show, which <laughs> usually usually are about, you know, you have to learn a lesson of like, oh, here's a terrible person, but wait, you're the terrible person for judging them. And, right. and so when you get to the end of All Fall Down, it's sort of like, ah, 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 audience, he's a pathetic person and you were maybe bad for looking up to him. And it's like, we weren't looking up to him. <laughs> we were never on his side. Yeah, I yeah. wrote in my letterbox review, the balls on the last 10 seconds of the score <laughs> and the final two shots of that movie yeah. are like, uh, like, the gumption of you're like okay no like no <laughs> that is not what this movie was no in 1964 you get promise her anything with leslie caron uh which is this sort of sex comedy one after the other right promise her anything yeah. and mickey one right what, what you see i think is and i guess kaleidoscope too but more 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 mickey one and promise her anything what you're seeing is the french new wave yes like in infecting it's like, it's creeping Hollywood, in, but it's not it's not like taking over ho- quite yet. You yeah, know, Hollywood's trying to figure out how to incorporate like the Godard, Breathless, Agnes Varda thing into like their movies, and they're not doing a good job. Like Mickey One is literally like oh Mickey yeah Arthur Mickey- Penn trying to do Breathless with. Warren Beatty and it not working, and they and both I admitted it basically. You know, and it's so funny to watch them then like figure it crack, out crack the code for bonnie and yeah. clyde but we'll, we'll get there in just a second but but i will say once again this is another example of promise or anything is an arthur hiller movie right. uh mickey one's an arthur penn movie once again famous directors directors who are known for making movies that make money and are you know th- this is his career path he and part of it is I think, you know, he is a bankable star. He's very attractive, as we've said. But I also think it's that old adage of, like, if you want 
to succeed, find the smartest person in the room and stand next to them. And well, I think yeah. I think that's what he's doing is he's he's like gleaming what he can off of these people, uh, you know, sometimes sending them to an early grave like Robert Rawson. But <laughs> he, he's like pulling this information from them because he's going to use it. And he does eventually use it to gangbusters appeal, you know? You know who perfected this move? Like, nay, you know, 30 years later, Leonardo DiCaprio. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And then Kaleidoscope in 66 with Susanna York, uh, who you've had some strong words about, Dan Mecca. Well, I texted you. I (laughs) I texted Gavin. What did I text you? I was like, Susanna York, not a great actress. God bless. <laughs> she, I mean, look, I wrote, I think I wrote for this one in my little letterbox. This is like his Bond movie, right? This is like, his Bond movie. This is charade. You know, this is them yeah. trying charade. Mm. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's like there are moments. I, 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 I rewatched this knowing it wasn't great, but I, I was even still disappointed. Um, I kind of thought he was even a little bit better. It really runs out of steam big time the last 40 minutes. Yes, um, and they do just drag. a poke. It's just a poker scene, which is just, that's such a gambit. It's, it's not even poker, it's Baccarat. It's Baccarat, yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. He's trying to figure out how to subvert his own stardom, and then Bonnie and Glide is where it happens. And he, yeah. he kind of never looks back, you know? He kind of never looks back after that. Speaking of Bonnie and Clyde, so you would expect after a string of six movies that are not that well-received, but still kind of make bank, kind of keep your name in the lights. Um, Warren Beatty must be like, what, 45 at this point? No. (laughs) No, he's 29. Uh, And so he ends up producing and acting in Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde uh, has maybe one of the most storied productions of i mean there's books about it you can go read pictures of the revolution which does a really good job at recounting the the making of this and yeah there I, there's so much to say about bonnie and clyde that we would need an entire episode of it, its it own. launches like 17 careers you know it's like it changes same. hollywood how did we get from you know these six kind of like middling movies i know in 65 he starts his production company is he just like I'm done with this shit. Like, I need to find what's right kind for of. me. And then also yeah. was like, and now I'm a producer. Fuck it. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's the, kind of, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. And and as we said, you know, he shows up on these sets. He annoys these people. He's like, you're going to like me this way. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to read these lines. I'm going to, you know, I'll enter from here. This is the costume I'm wearing. So he's already producing, technically. He's just being a dick about it. He's not so getting now, credited, right? So, yeah. so now he has the title. And so he can pull that shit. And it makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, he made Arthur Penn crazy on this movie, right? I mean, yeah. I think, you know, Penn was a traditional, a more traditional filmmaker, you know, who had an artsy streak, right? Famously, the pretty great movie, The Train, Burt Lancaster yeah. fired Arthur Penn because he was focusing too much on the art, right? And Lancaster was like, we're making an action picture, get me John Frankenheimer. And Frankenheimer <laughs> directed The Train, and The Train's a great action movie. So it worked. But like, you know, Penn was a Hollywood guy but had a streak in him that you know gets you mickey one right and like you said gavin like they figure it out here but not without going to war right like on the set and and with everybody robert bit robert benton you know who made some great movies after this it's co-writer you know as a co-writer on this and i mean i mean and Beatty, you know always has an ear or eye 
on what's coming next. So he tried to get Godard involved in this. He tried to get Truffaut involved in this. Like he was going after the masters of the French new wave to try and get their input. Unfortunately, like they either didn't have the time or were not interested or their changes were just kind of like, actually we don't need to do this, but you know, the very famous story about him going and telling Jack Warner how he wanted to make this movie. And Jack Warner was like, great make whatever you want as long as it's in black and white and he's like no and jack and jack warner was like look out the window at the water tower my name is the first letter on there warner this is my company and warren Beatty, famously supposedly maybe apocryphal but it sounds great looked out the window and goes yeah but those are my initials wow okay oh that's great that's great i love that (laughs) I would have been like, okay, what? This, that's so stupid. It's like, now, let me let me just say because you mentioned earlier, Gavin, the book I've read about Beatty, which I do love in its in all of its gossipy uh, glory, is the Biskin book. Yeah, Star. Um, and, and like, listen, I like Biskin. I re- I used him highly as a reference during the. Um, uh, Audrey Hepburn episode. So like, I, yeah, Beatty, Beatty approved and then disavowed. Right. Like that's the funny <laughs> thing with star came out in like 2010 or something. And it was like, Beatty had approved it, but like ended up not giving Biscuit anything. And then like, when it came out, he's like this, but no, no, ignore it. Ignore it. So <laughs> classic Beatty move. I love it. What is there to say about Bonnie? And Cl- I mean, he's really in control. You know, he, he gets the writers, he casts the movie, he, you know, he picks Faye Dunno. Originally, he was just going to produce it, and they wanted Shirley MacLaine as Bonnie, and then when he was going to star as Clyde, they were like, uh, we can't well, do that. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah. Um, so many women turned down this role. Faye Dunaway has said that she basically got this role by the skin of her teeth. But, like, he, he cast Gene Wilder in the film. He had worked with uh gene, gene hackman, hackman and lilith yeah and lilith so like he like he's pulling together it's it's literally like magic you know he's he's pulling from all the assets that he's gathered and and putting them in the correct order that make this thing that is brilliant and he does and he look he does what he'll do again with reds which is he takes a, a true story and he takes he takes the parts he wants and leaves the rest behind, and he like prints the legend, right? He literally remakes, yeah, the historical figure in his image, right? Absolutely. Like, to the point I was making earlier about finding his his style as a movie star. I think the word I kept coming back to, trying to think of how you define the thing about Beatty. What is the thing? I think the word is disarming, right? I think the thing mm. about Beatty is he, and you know, and in his review of um, Dollars, Roger Ebert pointed this out. He's got a con man's charm, which I think speaks to this to the word disarming, which is like in Bonnie and Clyde, when you first meet him and they're going on their kind of little rampage in the beginning, he is he is smooth, and then as the movie continues, right, his impotence, right, his yeah. his. His lack of confidence, his awareness of the you know impending doom that's coming, right? Like you get a little Lady Macbeth thing, right? From Faye Dunaway, mm-hmm. who's also great. Like that, all of the all of the cracks that make up Clyde Barrow become the thing he leans on when he's John Reed, when he's you know when he's Joe Pendleton, when he's you know uh, Bugsy Siegel, right? Like all of he leans on those cracks, right? And right, it's like. Right. 
in in you know in in the movies you know even in Mickey one you know whatever it's like they just they just aren't there in the same way you know she she done them in a dumb stupid backcountry now you look she she ain't got a brain in what her head what makes you any better what makes you so damn special you was just a West Dallas waitress spending half your time picking up truck drivers oh big Clyde Barrow you're just like a brother uh-huh. ignorant uneducated hillbilly listen the only special thing about you is your peculiar ideas about lovemaking which is no lovemaking at all right he's like pushing on the like pressure points of these characters and i think you know because like uh clyde is this like myth right he is this like hero you know robin hood and so in the in everyone's mind it's like yeah he's this like manly man he's tough he's smooth he's the original smooth criminal but then for Warren Beatty to lean so hard on the uh you know guess what he like is not really that like a, a big sex lothario guy right he he doesn't have that you know sexual confidence and kind of putting that front and center for him um I thought I think it's so smart just like subverting it and he's able to it, it just gives layers and all of a sudden it's like oh Warren Beatty has layers what the fuck weird yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and that's I mean and that's one of the big changes that it went through. And like you said, Dan, it is really printing uh, a myth or, or adding on to a myth, creating a new myth. And and because like the other writers, they wanted to make Clive Barrow bisexual, which there might be some evidence of that happening in real life. There might also be some evidence of it not happening because he might have actually been victim of sexual assault in prison, which uh. sounds really tragic. And uh, but they they wanted to have this big bisexual thing where you know he was constantly having three ways with and Warren Beatty eventually was like why don't we just make him impotent like why don't we just go with that and i think i think it is such a, a smart move because it does as you were just saying louis like it undermines the expectations of the audience so this movie comes comes out initially doesn't do great but there's a grassroots movement that makes it a hit, right? Yeah. That speaks to kind of it's like immediate cult status, you know, not cult because, because it's a hit, but like, you know, not unlike something like Diner, right? You know, you know, or something like that or Brazil, right? But, you know, where it's like it has these champions who come out of the woodwork and like really like, you know, raise it to become a hit. Um mm-hmm. It's it's kind of it's a little fight clubby where the reaction to it and a misunderstanding of the mythos yeah. is a little is a little pervasive, right? Where you I think you get people honoring Bonnie and Clyde in a way that obviously the subversion that's very apparent in the movie is kind of ignored by some people, which I find funny. And you know, you think about Fight Club and other movies like that, it's like obviously the same story sung a different way, but it's like it's great. It's very provocative at the time. It you know blew people's hair back. It's still amazingly you know it's still amazingly yeah. effective. You know, yeah. That last I mean, scene is tense. Yeah, oh even my now God, it's amazing. Yeah, even now, yeah, yeah, it becomes a huge hit. They don't even want to release it at first. They put it out at drive-ins. Finally, Beatty convinces them to show it at the Montreal Film Festival, I believe. And then from there, the the steam engine starts to roll. It gets nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor, and seven Golden Globe Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor. Uh, Beatty was originally entitled to 40% of the profits because they didn't think it was going to make any money. He ends up giving away 10% of that to Arthur Penn to convince Arthur Penn to make the movie. His 30% share nets him $6 million. Back in nineteen what sixty nine? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Which 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 yeah sixty seven. Which at the time um 
was unheard of, right? I mean, he's a, a yet another example, like you're saying, Gavin, of his, his forward thinking, right? People always think of the original Batman and Jack Nicholson made that deal, right? And he right. made a, he made a bazillion dollars, but you know, Beatty did it. To, you know, and look, they're best friends. Like Nicholson I was going to say, Beatty, they're friends, friends, so I'm sure. It didn't yeah, so I'm sure. Yeah, you know, Nicholson. I'm sure Nicholson got, got good advice from Warren on that one. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the end of the studio system, right? Where you're signing contracts for five pictures, and they're whatever five pictures they want you to make, right? Yeah, that is ending now, and you know, an actor taking the back end instead of an upfront salary, right, is very revolutionary at the time, for sure. And this is ushering in, this movie ushers in, you know, what it's quote unquote, the new Hollywood. New Hollywood, yeah. And, and so you're getting these like leaner, more artistic films, but they're hitting the mainstream. And unfortunately, like new Hollywood blows up because they stop being lean. <laughs> but that, I mean, but it's an interesting thing to, to see that like his, his forethought, his hand helped guide, you know, Hollywood into a completely new direction and into a way of seeing films in the U.S. specifically, you know, very different. There's lots of people that wouldn't have careers that, you know, he goes on to do McCabe and Mrs. Miller in 71 with Robert Altman. Robert Altman wouldn't really have the career that he has without Warren Beatty and because of these advances. And so he historically is such an interesting figure for a guy I think is not one of my favorite performers. Yeah, like we said, the rest of his career, I think, is defined by the decisions he makes on this movie you know and i think he'll run into plenty of failure and we'll get there but the the run he's about to have give or take a liz taylor movie or two yeah is like (laughs) is uh is and i love liz that's no knock on Liz, all right? <laughs> but um, it, it's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. That's a good place to get us into 1970s The Only Game in Town, a, a movie with him and Liz Taylor. Just That was did, remade. That yeah. was remade and also remade into a flop. Did you know that? No, I did not. I, cu- I, I couldn't do more research on it after the watching it. The Only Game it. in Town was remade <laughs> by Curtis Hansen and d- written by Eric Roth, and it starred Drew Barrymore, and oh, Eric Bana, and it's called Lucky You. Shut uh, up. Is a remake Shh. of The Only Game in Town. Yep. Wow. And I've seen them both. I have now seen them both. The guys. duology. <laughs> I've seen the Lucky Lucky Me. Lucky Me for seeing them both. Yeah, I, I'm gonna need the the the. That's like a double feature night. <laughs> lucky you, Lucky you is a little bit better. I'll say that. Well, it's Warren Beatty falling in love with Liz Taylor, and they could not be more disalike. And she, you know, they're both very testy. And I, I mean, I kind of glazed over after a little bit. They're both really not great in Can this I, movie. But well, I, okay, I, okay, that's I'll, interesting you said that. Okay, I, yeah. I, well, I think she's better by yeah, margin. Yeah, I was gonna say this. So this movie, there's nothing really to say about this movie, but. This was, I think I texted you this too, Gavin, yeah. right? This was the movie when I was watching, because I had, there were like four of these, I think there were four of these movies I hadn't seen. I'm a big Warren Beatty fan. I've seen most of these movies, um, but there are four I hadn't seen, and one of them was The Only Game in Town. And um, when I was watching this movie, I realized, you know, he is not a great actor, actually. Like, his range is, maybe I knew this already, but his range is limited, yeah. And Liz Taylor never got enough credit and she oh, I is agree with she that. is a great actor. Yeah. And even at her later stage in her career and she was a big diva and she really kind of forced the production's hand in this movie. This ended up being 
the great George Stevens's last movie. They it was the third movie Liz Taylor and George Stevens made together. And what's so crazy is the first two are masterpieces. A Place in the Sun and Giant are two of the best movies you'll ever see. And then the third movie is the only game in town. It's like the weirdest. But she like forced the production to basically move to London because that's where Richard Burton was making his movie and she did a lot of DVD things. That being said, I think she's good in the movie and watching her scenes with Beatty is so revealing because you're like, wow, she is probably given like a six out of 10 and she's wiping the floor with Warren right now. It's like kind of wild. Well, what? Do I stay or do I go? I couldn't care less. That's a lie. Well, you just go through that door and see if I try and stop you. You wouldn't try and stop me, but that doesn't mean you don't care. What are you, a psychiatrist? I don't have to be a psychiatrist to know you're just as hard up as I am or lonely. I don't like that kind of talk. After that, he does the aforementioned McCabe and Mrs. Miller in 71 for Robert Altman, a movie I truly and deeply love. Also, uh, is the first time that he is paired with Julie Christie, uh, yeah, have, did either of you see McCabe and Mrs. Miller? It's it's long. Oh, it's the I best. Yeah, it's it's amazing. so good. McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which, you know, it, like you said, oh, there's so many of these movies we could go on and on forever about. So, But, but suffice it to say, like, this is Altman. Early Altman, he just made MASH. MASH was a huge hit. So he he gets carte blanche for a long time to kind of for do whatever time. he wants, which is so crazy. And, like, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is famous because they like had to invent new ways to shoot and record set, like to shoot film and record sound. Like they invent yeah. lenses for it. The onset sounds a nightmare. It's hard to understand the movie if you watch it, right? It's like the way it, 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 it really feels like they're in the wilderness in the time that the movie is set. Vilmo Zygmunt shot it. They like kind of invented new glass to like capture low light scenarios and like not really, not really force a lot of light into scenes, which is like, you know, like if you're listening, like Robert Altman, his whole thing was this type of thing, right? Where like he would fucking love my favorite director. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He (laughs) He would push the limits of these things where like the cross talk, right? On the mics, where like if you watch the movie, Right, Mrs. Miller, Julie Christie saying something. Right, McCabe will rebut her and like step on her line, and it's hard to understand it. But that's the point of the movie, right? And similar to Bonnie and Clyde, McCabe is introduced as a proto-masculine hero, and then every moment in the movie subverts that. Right, where Miller is the one who's kind of running shit and McCabe's like a coward, right? And 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 once again the these are when Beatty has the most success, right? When he's like, "Let me let me act like I'm going to be Han Solo and instead I will be not that." Right? Like <laughs> Absolutely. that's the whole thing. Yeah. Excuse me, you know I already got a whorehouse operating. Nah, you can't crib cows always. I'm talking about a proper sporting house with class girls and clean linen and a proper hygiene. Well, I, I don't think you're going to find my clientele up here uh, too interested in that sort of thing. They will be once they get a taste of it. 71, he does dollars. And this is also, the speaking of first time pairings, it's the first time he's paired with Goldie Hawn. Yeah. This is a crime comedy uh, directed by Richard Brooks. Uh, it's very of its time. Well, I mean, it feels very of the last like th- 
four or five years before it's time. <laughs> like, it's like a swinging 60s picture that somehow is 71. Right. I, I watched this movie. I was just like, is Warren Beatty funny? Yes or no? Uh, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it, de- it really depends. You know, like sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is cool. The other time he, he's got these modes. And I think, uh, Dan, to your point, like he does have his limits. So here's what I think. I, I'm no comedian. My wife, my wife is the funny one here, but <laughs> I thought I you think, were going to say my wife will tell you that. I, well, she, yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, I think he's funny reacting to things. I think when he's meant to deliver the jokes, he's not mm. very funny, right? I, so mm. I think like, and we'll we'll get to Ish, I think we'll we'll get to Ishtar, but I think that's, I think I I probably like Ishtar more than both of you guys, but but I think that's why Ishtar. <sighs> yeah, actually, you you I like do. Ishtar more than most people. I do, I do. I think that's why Ishtar <laughs> does work actually, but 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 uh, like McCabe is a good example of that. He, his re his reactions in McCabe are funny, you know? And I think when he's doing that, he's funny. But, like, in Dollars, which I do like Dollars, kind of reminded me of Ocean's 12 a little bit. Like, that's high praise for a movie that doesn't deserve it. (laughs) Which one? You're giving Ocean's 12 to Dollars? Yeah. But which one is, which one's bad in this scenario? Uh, uh, Ocean's 12 is good. It's a good, like, weird, it's a good, weird sidebar in the Ocean's trilogy. No, I love Ocean's 12. Yeah, no, Ocean's 12 is a better movie. I just mean, like, I just mean the the energies are similar. The energies are similar. Um, that's that's the vibe for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know that it necessarily achieves gets, it. I agree. Yeah, I right, agree. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Goldie Hawn, though, we can agree. I think kind of is oh, yeah. Yeah. a spark. Oh, She's so, yeah. so great. I mean, this is the year. This is the year after Cactus Flower, right? She's yeah, like, which she's I love. The hottest thing so. this side of fucking soup. You know, it's C- like Cactus you know. Flower. Not a great movie. Solid performances all around. Oh my god, amazing <laughs> performance. Yeah, no, yeah. In '72, Beatty basically creates the political benefit concert for George McGovern. Mm. He gets uh, Barbara Streisand, Carol King, James Taylor to perform. Um, Barbara Streisand brings Quincy Jones and his orchestra. They record an entire album. He's really like mobilizing Hollywood and celebrities towards a political cause which right. really he, hasn't you know hasn't been seen yet i mean as obviously celebrities had political opinions but he's like really putting it on the line for progressive opinions and, right. and, he's got, and the, as we know it totally works mcgovern became president everything was yeah, fine yeah absolutely sure. yeah um i love that warren Beatty is like listen i've got six million dollars and i want democrats in office let's make it happen <laughs> i mean he's a control freak <laughs> Yes. Um, yes. So 74, he appears in the Parallax View, directed by Alan Pakula. Uh, I love saying Alan Pakula's name. Um, and yeah, the Parallax View is is a, a good little thriller. I I enjoyed watching it. Um, I didn't think about it till the end of it and was like, oh, that was kind of dumb. <laughs> but but I think it's a fun movie. Yeah, the sec the second in Pakula's Paranoia trilogy, right? Yes. Pretty famous. Clute, Parallax, and All the President's Men. Which is but, funny but because... The third, the, the, the third best, right? The third best Yeah, the I was three. just going to say, because yeah. those other two are like masterpieces. And yeah, Parallax View is a film about a journalist who uncovers a plot of an organization that essentially uh, assassinates political figures for money and then covers it up. And Warren Beatty plays the journalist who gets embroiled in that. And I... My, the part that killed it for me, and once again, fun movie, totally fun. Don't want to say too much about it, but he goes to like 
infiltrate the company at one point and i was like does this asshole not think that these people don't know what he looks like (laughs) (laughs) like they have all this money to hire these people to cover shit up he thinks that they don't know what a camera is yeah I, i i i do agree with you gavin on that i have to say you know, like you're talking about his politics, Beatty becomes fully political here and he's always pushing for it, right? If memory serves, he's pushing for these things in parallax and yeah. then onward, right? Like everything he does basically t- through to the end of his life, you know, uh, you know, a love affair aside, right, is like very <laughs> is like very political, you know, even even like heaven can wait, right? I mean, there's political elements to, to basically everything he does. Yeah. Um, the next film he does is 1975's The Fortune for Mike Nichols. I don't know how much. Well, maybe you guys not want to The say. Fortune. Maybe there's yeah. no politics in The Fortune. <laughs> I mean, the, it's just not a great movie altogether. It's um, not Carol Eastman, which is a shame because she wrote one of my favorite movies ever, Five Easy Pieces. I I, I will say, in defense of Carol Eastman, they like they threw her script out basically. Yeah, right? yeah. She yeah. handed in like a 230 page script, and the movie's like 93 minutes. So I can just see him like tearing pages like Mike Nichols just saying it's because he wanted a different movie. He wanted a a slapstick comedy and she was writing something that had more beef to it. And and also like I just don't think if we're as good of friends as uh, him and Jack Nicholson are, I just don't think they ever play those characters correctly. You know, Jack Nicholson You guys didn't like this? No. Did you like it, Louis? You liked it? Yeah, I Oh, thought, tell me about it. Yeah, I want to hear about it. So I, I think in... Well, first of all, Stalker Channing, hello. Yeah, she first is, movie, yeah, she, and she's, she is incredible. <laughs> I love that like, we both rush in to defend Stalker, Stalker Channing. Stalker yes, Channing, yeah, my yeah. queen, uh, yeah. Riz, Rizzo herself, is love amazing. Her. Love movie. her, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so what was good. wild, I was like, as the song starts and the movie starts, and I was like, is that Stalker herself singing? <laughs> and um, Derek walked by, and I was like, babe, is that... And he was like, oh, absolutely. I was like, what a fucking icon singing her own songs um, in the movie. Yeah, I I thought that um, perhaps, oh, Warren Beatty is funny when he's playing the straight guy and mm-hmm. you have like a full psychopath like Jack Nicholson <laughs> who was like bouncing off the wall. And like his whole shtick in this movie is that like what he's lazy, kind of dumb, does is just kind of like along for the ride. Right. Yeah, um, you mean Nicholson? Yeah, right, right, Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Beatty is the one who is like the big thinker, the one who has the plan. Um, and it's all kind of going to like shit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I I was tickled by her. <laughs> and, you know, like it was just antics. Um, and I wasn't mad at it. Are you trying to be suave? Do you think I'm trying to copy you? You're bent. Uh, no. <laughs> who had it first? What, were you born with a mustache or something? A lot of people oh, have Oh, kiddos, mu- please. Are we going to have a good time or not? I know. Let's all sing something. Let's sing, um, shaking the blues away, unhappy news away. I mean, this if exact style. Hey, I've run into a dozen people out here that have this exact style. They may oh, you name them. But as a rule, they'll go with you, shake it away. Give us Do like Navarro. 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 Seventy-five. He does shampoo, which he also co-wrote um, and produces. Directed by Hal Ashby, it's nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay, as well as five Golden Globe Awards, including Best Motion Picture and Best Actor. He plays a a horny hairdresser, and mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's literally the logline. That's how what how I knew what this movie was when I was a kid. My mom was like, oh, yeah, there's the movie where Warren Beatty plays a hairdresser who sleeps with all of his clients. And uh, which is maybe a little unfair because he only seems to sleep with like four or five. No, no. <laughs> he fully says in the movie when when they ask him, he's like, how many? And he's like, all of them. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> So you got Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn and the great. Lee Grant are like the yes. three women in his life. Yeah. I love Lee Grant. Lee um, Grant. What an icon. I love her. Also, like to most audiences don't know that this is a k- kind of a period piece. And especially because they advertised the movie with Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn and Warren Beatty in their like 1975 appearance. Yeah. When the movie actually takes place in the 60s. Um, yeah, I think I I don't love this movie, but I I think he's very good in it, and I think politically it's much more interesting. I think this is a, a much better window actually into the like a time and place than it was like an entertaining movie for me. Yeah, I totally agree because I thought I was like, oh, it's so interesting. We're getting some of like the Nixon background, yeah, uh, LBJ stuff going on, and there's that moment where Jack Warden he's like, they're all jerks. It doesn't fucking matter, you know, like, the, and talking about, like, the presidents and, and the people in charge. Um, yeah. And and I was just like, wow, you know, I, it, I'm i glad you brought the political stuff up earlier because, you know, going through his career, like, when you, I feel like maybe Bullworth is, like, I don't know, the, the zenith of all this, where it's just like, <laughs> this all fucking sucks, we're all fucked, we're all doomed, everyone in charge is... Um, a piece of shit. Uh, and so, like, why not just fuck all your clients, you know? And he's just having the conversation with Jack Ward, and it's like, yeah, women fucking, like, just hate us. We, they, the jig is up, babe. Like, and it's not like this big macho thing. It's not like, I can't believe you were fucking the girl. Because it's kind of like this movie, to me, is like this primal scream for, like, liberation. <laughs> you know? It's just like, we all want to be loved. We all want, um, you know, to feel good. And I think it's kind of just like living in this world where like the world is on fire and we just are trying to like make it. He just wants yeah. to open up his stupid fucking like um, salon and, you know, be quote the nice guy. He's kind of he's a fuck boy. Um, yeah. But it, but in a way, it's it, it almost is. You know, it's come back around in terms of its importance then in, in oh, yeah. like in our society, um, because I did like I thought going in, I was like, this is going to be kind of frivolous. And and like I said, I, I don't love it all together. Like, I don't think it all clicks together in like a full puzzle. You know, you, you don't get the full picture ever at any point. But I, I the mood and the feeling and and that peak, I think you're 100 percent on. Yeah, and I, I think agree with that. It's the first time you see him really taking charge of a movie. Like, so Hal Ashby directed it, but by all accounts, Beatty really co-directed yeah. it. Um, and it certainly doesn't feel like a Hal Ashby movie. It doesn't. Uh. It does not. And you know, Hal Ashby's you know the great, the great Hal Ashby. But I think, I think certainly, you know. Uh, Beatty and Robert Town, who wrote the screenplay, were very good friends. And I think, you know, uh, Beatty gets co-writing credit on this, which I think is his first writing credit. So it's like there's a lot happening here where he really forms the movie around his persona. And I feel like this has to be the most honest look at how probably he felt about his own persona. Right. Because even by now, he's developed in the in at least in the Hollywood world is this kind of like living Lothario, you know, yeah. man about town. And I think, Oh uh, yeah, he's definitely playing into the character. And the most beautiful thing about the movie. And, you know, I, I feel like 
if you can if you can elicit this in your performance is like he is just he's stressed the whole time right and it, it, yeah. it's it's yeah. And, and what's funny it's what's funny is people say horny hairdresser blah 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 and it like feels kind of carefree in that way and it reminds me of the way people think about the big lebowski where like the the culture around the big lebowski yeah. is like Oh, he's he's just the dude. But if you watch The Big Lebowski, the dude is really stressed the whole movie and everything is collapsing in on him, not unlike Shampoo. And so the beauty of the performances is like they are acting one way like to those who are, you know, getting their hair done or like when he's bowling, if we're talking about, you know, uh, you know Big Lebowski, but actually they're really struggling. You know what I mean? And I think... Um, it's definitely one of Beatty's like top three best performances. He's so good yeah, in this movie. He's it's very just, good. It's iconic. Yeah, it really is great. Best hair performance for sure. Oh my god, by a mile. <laughs> and like, I don't know, Goldie Hawn. Like, has anyone looked more beautiful in a movie? Like, I don't, it would be hard. It would be and she's hard to so think good about. too. Yeah. And and I mean, that's one of the things. And once again, not to go, get off on a rant, but like, you have Julie Christie in this movie, who is considered like this amazing actor. And I think people look at Goldie Hunter and they're like, yeah, she's just a comedy actor. She's so good in this movie. She's yeah. She holds she really her own. Yeah. Young Carrie Fisher, two good scenes. Well, it, it is life in Beverly Hills mm-hmm. uh, on a certain level. And, of course, the people in this particular picture are rather trivial people. And uh, rather they, 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 they're, I don't know whether I should call them trivial people. They, they're the uh, focus of their lives seems to be on things that one might call trivial i do want to get to heaven can wait 1978 it's his first co-directing credit with buck henry it's nominated for nine academy awards including best picture director actor and adapted screenplay he's getting the attention he deserves but once again it only comes when he is in complete control of these things well do you know do you know this you know the style right gavin this crazy thing with Beatty. Oh please, please! I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I okay, do. So, be, so, 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 heaven can wait, and then Reds is three years later. Okay, he's the only person to have been nominated for acting, directing, writing, and producing the same film, and he did it twice. Wow! Because wow. heaven can wait, he gets nominated for all four, and three years later, he does it again for Reds. That's like insane, and he's the only one. And he's done it twice. That is insane. 1981, he does Reds, the historical epic about the American communist journalist John Reed, who observed the Russian October Revolution. Beatty had been working on this since 1970, so it's an 11-year process to get this done. Um, It ends up being a critical and commercial success, even though it is so long. I was going to say, emphasis on epic. Yeah, I mean, it's an American film about an American communist released during the Cold War, you know? So it seems like... This shouldn't work, but it does. It gets 12 Academy Award nominations, including four for Beatty for Best Picture, Director, Actor, and Original Screenplay. Beatty ends up winning for Best Director. Maureen Stapleton wins for Best Supporting Actress for playing Emma Goldman. And Vittorio Sitaro wins for Best Cinematography. It receives seven Golden Globe nominations, including Best Motion Picture, Director, Actor, and Screenplay. And Beatty wins the Golden Globe for Best Director. We mentioned Reds in our Diane Keaton episode. I gave my five-star review for Diane Keaton's performance in it. I really think she's amazing in it. I think Warbaity's very good in this too, so I'm not downplaying him, but he really lets her shine. I mean, there's a full hour of the movie he's not in. And so she has to carry a lot of weight of this film. Yeah, Keaton's amazing in this. It was gonna be Julie Christie, but it was too close to Zhivago, so she said no. Yeah. 
I don't I don't blame her for turning I don't blame it down, her. but I but yeah, I don't blame her. Uh, but Keaton is amazing. And Keaton, no, no, I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a happy it's not an accident. It's a happy decision ultimately because Keaton is so good in this movie, and you'll always have Doctor Zhivago, you know, for oh, Julia yeah. Christie. Um, and Jack Nicholson is in this movie as oh, well. So um, good, so good. It couple scenes at most, really amazing in them. When on Reds, I called Jack and I said, you got to help me. And I, he said, what? And I said, you've got to tell me an actor that I can get that everyone will completely believe that he takes Diane Keaton away from me in the picture. And he said, you have only one choice. <laughs> I didn't rewatch it for this episode, but now that I'm thinking, I was like, yeah, what a journey this movie goes on. And it's like the, 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 the most impressive thing is that it sticks to landing. It's the completely, you know, uh, you're like you're you're kind of like traveling along with Diane and and like oh look Jack Nicholson oh you know it's 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 <laughs> kind of it's kind of like this bonkers movie and like it it it, it sticks to landing it's just like it's so impressive it it's like, it's really a feat it's such a bonkers movie I mean I every time I think of Reds that's the perfect way to describe it the fact that Heaven Can Wait was so successful and Beatty was so famous that he was able to get forty million dollars yeah. to make a movie about. <laughs> An American journalist, the only American buried in the Kremlin, right, right. who fought for a socialist slash eventual communist revolution, right, and wrote about it, wrote the most famous book about it, 10 Days That Shook the World, which I actually read uh, because we were, as we were talking about doing this uh this episode, I was like, I'm just going to finally read that book. And it's a, it's a, it's a pretty uh, amazing book. And... The fact that like uh, he got it made and it came out and got all those nominations is just it's about communism, right? Like yeah, yeah. during the Cold War, made in America by the bi- the biggest movie star in the moment. And it's interesting too because it doesn't mince words about the fact that it is like it it is taking down the American system of hunting for communists too because there's a lot of great scenes in which Diane Keaton has to go up against these panels that question her ability to be both an American and a socialist. And and so it's, once again, it's fascinating that it's not exactly like, it's not even like communism is bad. It's like, I don't know, draw your own conclusions. <laughs> yeah, they, well, exactly. It, it touches on so many, because even if you read 10 Days That Shook the World, at the end of that book, you can feel John Reed writing to the caution he's seeing of the fracturing that ends up happening and bastardizing the whole movement of course as we know and you can feel reed fearing that in his own prose in in his book right and so Beatty encapsulates that and much much more in this epic and then you have the witnesses right the interviews throughout are so beautifully done and so beautifully um, incorporated it's great yeah it feels like i you know as much as he's not an actor, he is a vehicle for these ideas and these big thoughts. You know, these are big movies. Um, you know, a lot of the movies that are like obviously this one and but and to come, um, I would say he's trying to just deliver ideas as opposed to like, here's like a good performance. It feels like there's just more priorities than like, look at my acting. It's more yeah. like, here is an idea that I really want us to like think critically about. Yeah, I mean, like like a good producer, you know, like we said. I mean, he yeah. he a great facilitator of, 
you know, of work and art, you know, and I think Reds, I mean, to me, Reds is the peak for him. Yeah. I think, you know. It's, it's so good. And the peak for most filmmakers. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, you know, so I, it's it's quite incredible. Following Reds, he doesn't work for another five years, and that's not to say, like, he's not doing work, but he's not acting, he's not directing, and he doesn't do another film until 1987's Ishtar, which was written and directed by Elaine May. There has been <laughs> so many things written and said about Ishtar. Ishtar could be its own episode as well. Mm. It's funny that I, there's so many of these movies that we could talk about, like, at length for hours. Yeah. Uh, but needless to say, Ishtar is a huge disaster. I mean, Beatty and May fight all the time. He tells the studio, studio tries to fire her. He realizes what a bad look that would be, especially because he really championed her making this movie. He wanted her to make a big film. Uh, yeah, by all yeah. accounts, you know, she saved Heaven Can Wait, right? I right. Mean, he, he, oh, he feels he owes her, I think, is part of it, too. Yes, um, that's absolutely it, yeah. You know, and he doesn't and, want us to be seen as a guy who fires women, which, you know, uh, you know. You, yeah, you, I can't blame him for that. You get it, you know? It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, Ishtar, it's not great. I, I don't, I watched it for the first time for this. Mm. I don't understand why it has the reputation it has about being like the worst movie ever made i've seen a lot worse than this well can i can i tell you why i think it (laughs) has a reputation and so i I like it a lot i think it's actually a very underrated kind of very funny movie but yes and we are sending you to a hospital but (laughs) but but it took me i've watched it a few times and i did i did not always like it um it's obviously it's like a very clear politically infused take on the road to movies that Bing Crosby yeah. and Bob Hope did, which themselves were not great movies. God bless. No. Like it's, it's I no, mean, those movies, Ishtar, were literally, those movies were literally made to be forgotten. Yeah. And, I mean, Ishtar is certainly better and more ambitious than any of those movies. But, but I'll say this, the thing about Ishtar is, um, aside from just all of the poison that had already been spouted before the movie even came out, not on like a John Carter or something like that, where like by the time it comes out, it's already kind of being buried. So that's part of it. But also the movie is about two singers who aren't good at singing. Right. So I think when you do that, the risk you run is it is going to be annoying. Right. So what you are, what, what the, the risk you're running is, am I going as a viewer to be too annoyed to even notice that it's funny? Right. And I think if you are too annoyed, you're just going to turn on the movie the minute they start singing songs that are bad. Right. And if you can't get behind the fact that they're knowingly bad, then you just aren't going to hate the movie. And I think 95% of the, of the world didn't get behind it you know and i think well it's also like how how long were they expecting us to laugh at the joke the 100%, joke was 100%, 100%, going on 100 so it's yeah it's one thing to be like oh these guys are bad but like i was like wow they're having a lot of montages of them being bad and <laughs> it's only like and i get i bet they were banking on like people love uh you know warren Beatty and uh Hoffman, right? Doesn't happen. Yes. Uh, doesn't happen. I was like, people love these guys. Like, they're going to laugh with them. But it fully is just like, nope, you overestimated the charm factor. And well, this is. And also the gambit they make, which they decide on, obviously, which, you know, Hoffman plays the stud and right. Brady plays right. the idiot, which is so right. clearly 
intentionally misleading on purpose. You Which know, I don't even think Beatty's at his worst here. I think. No, I, I mean, I, I think I, he's. I love him. I love Beatty. So like, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. he's great. Yeah. But anyways, huge disaster. Doesn't go well for anyone. Bad, bad, he bad. For, he forms a second production company, Mahalan Productions, and the next movie that he produced, directed, and plays the title role in is 1990s Dick Tracy. This is one of our like crowning achievements this movie gets name dropped i think once a year by us uh between our madonna episode between our 90s superhero episode um it gets seven academy award nominations and wins three of them best art direction best makeup best original song it receives four golden globe award nominations including best motion picture i famously have gone on record saying i think this movie's boring but beautiful and i do want to say that i think that he directed it very well and i've I've talked about why i think it's boring before but i can reiterate that point which is he does a really good job at emulating the dick tracy comic strip style which is all about these three panel arcs and so the movie is so many mini arcs it's just arc after arc after arc that it never overall arcs and so you never get to that like satisfactory points because it's starting and stopping constantly and that's my problem with the film so i mean i think, I think that makes do, the most sense yeah i do think it's aged incredibly right in in this world of superheroes we yeah. live in oh now. My God. yeah yeah so yes. i think i give it a lot of benefits of doubts because i think you know it i just, look i look back at dark man the original Batman and Dick yes. Tracy. And I just think to myself, like we had it all. We had it all. We, didn't we? We, we, could, had it we could all. have had it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah I, I, same. Like, I think even though I don't think it's the perfect film, watching it is just a full feast for your eyes. And yeah. Madonna singing Sondheim. It's like, come on. Oh my. And that song is so good. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Even, even though you're, you're absolutely right, Gavin. I think just like, the breath of fresh after the Marvel DC whatever, which is take it or leave it. I it's just so different, and the color. I mean, God, the way it is, it just looks so incredible. It's uh, the commitment to art is just stunning. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, one. I mean, and once again, I yeah, I think that there's nothing that looks like it. There should be more things that look like it. Uh, but but yeah, I I yeah, I just wish I liked it better. I think he's I think he's pretty good at playing the flat sort of stalwart hero though, and I do think it takes some challenge to do that because it is so it's sort of like a return to the stuff that he was doing, which he was doing badly before, and is actually better at it. Yeah, way more self aware. Yeah. This time um, it do take nerve. It do take nerve. In '91, he produced and starred in the real life gangster biopic of Bugsy Siegel, just called Bugsy, uh, directed by Barry Levinson. It was nominated for ten Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor. It won two awards for art direction and costume design. And yeah, I had seen this movie years prior, and but none of it was fresh for me. And I just recently rewatched it. I think he's great in this movie. And maybe it's because he didn't have to contend with directing it himself that he's like maybe better than some of the other films that he's in. But I almost wish he had directed this as well, too, which is not to say anything bad about Barry Levinson. I think he did a spot on job. Yeah, I like this movie. I, I should have tried to rewatch it, um, but it's certainly it's kind of a good example of like Beatty still held so much sway that 
even though this movie kind of underperformed, it still garnered 10 nominations. Like, it's like so right. funny where it's like, I, I, I like this movie, but it's, yeah, it's an interesting, and also don't forget Levinson's coming off of Rain Man, where it's, which is right. like the biggest thing in the world, right? It's like Levinson's at his, you know, at his own peak right now, you know? So it's just kind of a bunch of people near the top of their game working together. Obviously, Annette Benning, her first like big starring role alongside um the Grifters the year before, you know, and it's like star making performance by her. Her introduction her introductory scene is probably the most famous part of the movie, right? With the lollipop. Like yeah. it's just very sexy. Yeah, the movie's good. It's it's epic. You know, definitely worth a look. You know, not 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 his best movie in terms of the movie as a whole, but but an interesting piece of work for sure. I was fully. I hit the Google so fast afterwards. I said, <laughs> I need to know more about Bugsy and Las Vegas. Um, yeah, I like this movie. It's it's kind of weird. Um, he's he's being kind of uh, he's got like the little tick about you know warming up and. Um, yeah, I like. I'm not a big like gangster sure. movie person, but like, I I really like this movie. I've uh, I've stayed at the Flamingo. It was fine. Oh, the Flamingo <laughs> is kind of <laughs> fine. Um, she's it, seen better days, is what I'll say. She's seen that's an old yeah, that's an old lady. That's an she's old seen lady. a lot of better days, but you know she is the home of Drag Race Live, so uh, which on, I've seen, which I've seen. <laughs> um, in '98, he wrote, produced, directed, and starred in the political satire Bullworth. Uh, critically claimed it was nominated for the Academy Awards for Best Original Screenplay. Bullworth, we've talked about it before because we did a Holly Berry episode. She's good. It, she's good in it. Yeah, he's good in it. I yeah. I think it's it, it's another movie that once again feels more it is both dated and more prescient as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah, his uh, whole rap at the benefit is like you wild, could do wild, it wild. right now and it'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, oh, um, but Bullworth, Bullworth, I think is a is sort of underrated. I think it's one of those movies that people sort of forgot, and, and it's sort of treated as a joke. Uh, but I think it's worthwhile to go back and watch if you've not seen it in a yeah, long agree, time. Agree, yeah. There's a time when every homie got to risk his neck and fight for the thing that he believed in, and he got to preach it right. If he don't got shit to die for, and he's afraid to shed the light, then he ain't got shit to live for, scumbag. He also pops up in Madonna Truth or Dare in 91. I do want to mention that because he was dating her at the time. Cool, cool, cool. Um, But yeah, Madonna broke Madonna broke him. Yeah. Madonna Madonna embarrassed him so much that he was like, yeah, I got to settle down. I got to settle down. I'm an old man. That's hilarious. (laughs) I mean, mean, and if you don't believe me, like watch the documentary. Oh, we have. We know. I'm just saying like to the the (laughs) listener, like to the listener, like. Like it, it's wild. Like I was like rewatching clips. I was like, wow. If I were him, I'd be like, yeah, I gotta relax. I guess. In two thousand one, <laughs> he does the movie Town and Country, um, which uh, we also talked a brief bit about in our Diane Keen episode. Um, That's a movie that exists. It certainly is. <laughs> jo- Joshy Hardnett plays his son. That's true. Yes. That's true. Which is actually, I think, pretty decent casting. Yeah, <laughs> agree, agree. Uh, and yeah, I don't know what to say about town and country other than I think the most damning evidence is 
it's a disaster of Ishtar epic proportions, and yet it's so bad that people remember Ishtar over it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Town and Country is so bad it will never get a reappraisal. Yeah. In 2005, he sues Tribune Media, claiming that he still owns the rights of Dick Tracy. The judge decides in his favor. And then in 2010, he does something that I've never seen anybody else do before. And it's one of my favorite things. I love it. He does a Dick Tracy TV special, which premieres the Dick Tracy special, which premieres on Turner Classic Movies, in which he sits down with Leonard Moulton and lets Leonard Moulton interview him in character as yep. Dick Tracy. Incredible. Just, as, so, just so he could hold on to the rights. Are you asking me to pick a fan? I, I guess I am asking you that. Ralph Bird, Morgan Conway, Warren Beatty. Well, to be quite fair, Mr. Malton, I don't know that it is right to pick favorites. <laughs> I would say, however, that Ralph Bird did have a wonderful way about him. <laughs> and you know who led that? Emmanuel Lubezki. He hired, shut the fuck he up. He hired Emmanuel Lubezki, like arguably our greatest living cinematographer, to like light a two camera interview with he Leonard must, Malton. He Cinephile must game night guest Leonard Malton. He must have the biggest dick in Hollywood. That's oh, all. He better. He better. <laughs> and then in 2016, he does Rules Don't Apply. This is his the final film that he has made to date. He directed it. He stars in it as I don't. I don't think that he's technically the star. He's like a he's a supporting character in it. Uh, but it is a film about Howard Hughes. It's set in 1950 from 58 to about 64 um, in Las Vegas. Um, and yeah, it's about Howard Hughes' driver, uh, young starlet played by Lily Collins, and how this sort of love triangle appears are how this sort of love triangle occurs between the three of them. Um, I just saw this movie. I don't think it's that bad. It's so funny. Cause I've seen the ratings on it, like waffle back and forth between like one star and five stars. And I'm just like, wow, I'm like, it's fine. It's a fine movie. I'd see what he was going for with it. It's not my favorite. And I do almost wish he hadn't played Howard Hughes, but that's neither here. I think, what, but here's what's important. I think what we learned in that movie is the rules don't apply to him. Exactly. I mean, 100%. You know, he he had been trying to, quote unquote, make this movie for 40 years. Um, he tried even before Heaven Can Wait. He got Spielberg involved in the 90s. And Spielberg was like, I want Jack Nicholson to play Howard Hughes. And he was like, bye, I'm out. <laughs> um, so like, you know, this was clearly a passion project. I just think that like, he he's too... It's... it's, it's it's the like Bobby Darren beyond the sea situation where it's like, you're just too old to play this part now. Mm. I mean, I will say in defense of, of the decision, he was 10 years older than John Reed was when he died, when he made reds, you know, right. like, so he'd been doing it to success before. So you could kind of like, you know, heaven can wait. He plays a football player. He's 40 when he makes it, you know, it's right. like, yeah, I just think he got used to, you know, the guy's got an ego bigger than the state of Texas. Right. I think he just was like, fuck it. I'll fucking play Warren. I'll play fucking <laughs> Howard Hughes. I like that. I like <laughs> that. You can try Howard Hughes with, with Warren, Warren Beatty. Beatty. Yeah. You like Briefly. <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, that's just, that's the name of the game. You know what I mean? He just was like, what, what, who's going to stop me? But, the, but there are things I genuinely like in that movie. And so like, I don't, I don't think it's a, a huge waste of time. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like the movie it's, a lot. I, I think people 
get hyperbolic when they talk about movies in either direction. And I'm always just like, you can, you can acknowledge that something like doesn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) Just fine. Yeah, just fine. Um, We aforementioned 2017 89th Academy Awards slip up. They invited him back the next year alongside Faye Dunaway for the 90th Academy Awards uh, to tell some jokes. And then, they announced the shape of water as the winner without incident. Um, I, I do want to, who did they not invite back Barry <laughs> Jenkins to give oh, a that's, speech, which that's true. is still stupid, but okay. Oh no, that is very stupid. Yeah. And the, yeah. Um, personal life. We've mentioned string of women. Supposedly he'd been linked to over a hundred female celebrities. Uh, Cher once said that he had dated everybody that she knows. Uh, Leslie Caron said Warren uh, only dated women that resembled uh, his sister Shirley MacLaine Um, well Leslie Caron looks like Shirley MacLaine so right she she at one point said that Warren Beatty called her up in the middle of the night um, telling her that he was worried that she wasn't thinking of him because he's a narcissist Uh, famously linked to being the possible uh, subject of Carly Simon's "You're So Vain," yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, and I believe didn't didn't Simon herself admit that like one verse was inspired by him yes. and another was inspired by Dustin Hoffman, right, or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't remember if it was Dustin Hoffman. It was certainly, but it somebody but like, like that, yeah, somebody like that. And and there's definitely um, what's his face, her her former writing partner in there as well too. So. Jimmy Jimmy Taylor. James yeah, Taylor. yeah, yeah, James Taylor. Um, but in '92, he did marry Annette Benning. Um, they've been married since then. They met. Did they meet on the set of Bugsy? I, I, I believe so. Them. I believe. Yeah. so. Yeah, and I didn't mention earlier, but they he did remake Love Affair with her. It's a mess. Uh, but yeah, not strong. Not strong. Um, and they've had four children. Um, the oldest child has since come out as trans. Um, in 2012. And so, yeah, I mean, he's politically very left. He's been a big supporter of the Democratic Party um, in 72. He was part of McGovern's campaign. Uh, I guess he was a friend of John McCain, but I don't give a shit about that. But <laughs> I mean, he's an old and you know, he's like, you know, like a lot of these old guard guys. Right. Where, you know, you know, they were walking across the aisle. You know, he never he always intimated he wanted to run for office. He never did. But, um, you know, he was very involved, like you said. And I think, yeah, that type of like, oh, yeah, me and John are cool, even though he feels this way, kind of just doesn't yeah. exist the same way anymore. You know? Oh, wow. He was a pallbearer at his funeral. Yeah, they were like Gee, really good friends. Yeah. Ugh. Jeez, Warren. Come on. I, I, under- <laughs> I understand everything you're saying, but like, ugh. Let's, let's get over that. Gavin's like, he's left, but not left enough for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he made a movie about communism, Gavin. You, you know what? He could have made two. Yes, Anyways. <laughs> Red's I two. Think... Too red for too red. red. Um, I think that wraps up Warren Beatty's career. Let's get into our reviews because I think we have a ton of stuff to talk about. So, uh, I mean, I didn't even get into the unmade projects. There's so many things that we could oh talk about. He, he wanted, many, he wanted yeah. to play Liberace. You know, he, he wanted to do a sequel to Bullworth called Bullworth 2000. There was so many Dick Tracy's he wanted to make and, uh, but I digress. Let's get into our reviews. Let's start with our one-star reviews and find out the things we didn't like. Dan, we always like our guests to go first. So what did you um, think is maybe the uh, the worst of the bunch? 
All right, so my one star for Warren himself. It would so I guess town and country. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a yeah. solid pick. Which I know there like like we already talked about. There there are plenty to choose from. God bless Warren. Um but I just think it's such a mess and he's so he's such a buffoon in it and it's like I think Actually, to my point earlier, this actually does back up my point earlier, Lou, when we were talking about him in comedy, him playing the buffoon, it doesn't work, right? Like, it's actually a living example of what we're talking about. It's like town and country, he's this cheating husband, right, who's like, it's almost like geriatric shampoo, kind of, where it's like he's, (laughs) he's, he's juggling all these affairs, but, you know, deep down, he's a good guy or trying to be, but he's not... There's no, um, there's no anchor to the movie, right? Like with Shampoo, the anchor is Beatty, right? It's the politics, it's the economic stresses of the moment, right? And there's nothing like that in Town and Country. It's just a jumbled mess. And like Gary Shandling is trying to like out farce Beatty. And what you get, I think, I, I I do think that's Beatty's worst performance. Even in a world of Roman Spring, I think that's Beatty's worst performance. <laughs> if you would just examine yourself and why it is that you need to believe something that would make you pursue a sordid little fishing expedition like this, this is, this is, well, no, I guess you, no, you have the temerity, you have the audacity, you have the heartlessness. Without a shadow of a fraction, of a moment, of a scintilla, of a tiny atom, of a doubt, to think that I would put our marriage into that kind of jeopardy? That's just fine, Ellie. Oh, that's just fine. 25 years. I would have thought better of you, Ellie. But that's fine. That's fine. Good. Fine. 25 years. Very good pick. I definitely agree. Um, My pick, I I was having a little bit of trouble. I was like, I... Because I don't... He doesn't register for me all the time. And sometimes I think he's really funny and like he can he can nail it down. Um other times I think he's just like kind of being very like soap opera actory. Um but today I finally saw Ishtar and <laughs> I'm not what what seals the deal for me and and giving my one star review for Ishtar is I was like, does this man not know how to do like basic accent work? Because holy shit, he's like, I'm from Texas, you know, and it's it comes and goes in a very aggressive way. Um, and I, it, you can just tell like the deep discomfort he has. <laughs> like there is not one uh, uh, moment in this movie where I'm like, oh, he's having fun. He's, he, you know, it, it feel all of the, the ease and comfort he has uh, that kind of like uh, leading man quality it, it, it evaporates on this screen. Um, so yeah, that, that, and for also just Ishtar being kind of a the an enormous swing and a miss. Yeah, uh, I have to give it to Ishtar. It's it's funny. Uh, two things. He clearly wasn't having a good time because he made them do over a hundred takes of a vulture landing next to him. So like, God. yeah, yeah, just he, brutal. He's just it's the tightest ass on that movie. Um, but <laughs> I, I I will say. That my only thing to add to that is I think Hoffman's even worse in the film, <laughs> but yeah, and, and the thing like to 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 
I want to give like it a little bit of credit. Like, you know, I don't think overall I'm like, oh, this is the most offensive or like horrible movie ever. I just think him specifically and Hoffman, you know, like the the two characters and the it, it's just too big for its britches, I think. Like the whole idea, like these two guys who want to be songwriters and they're gonna like go on adventure, but then like all of a sudden it's a CIA thing and like the Middle yeah. East and it's just too much you know because it's one thing to be like go on adventure and we're going to morocco but then like we're fully having cia and war and like real-time political shit going on and we have fucking dustin hoffman doing like really insensitive and that's me being yeah. kind like you know you're not uh, wrong <laughs> and, and, and so and also like i don't know who the fuck they're fooling or thought they were fooling if like Oh, this girl is a boy, or you know, like yeah. And, and Isabel, I love Isabel and, and Johnny, right? And yeah, movie. Isabel yeah. and Johnny. I love her so much, and she hated this movie. Like, I think she refused to do her own ADR. Like, it's yeah. So, so I said to Will, I said, "Look, uh, we got to go to New York or, or Nashville because those are the only two places to be if you want to sell songs." Mm-hmm. That's how come we came to New York. Mm-hmm. What a smuck I was schmuck it's not smuck it's schmuck smuck schmuck smuck say shh shh now say muck muck now say shh and muck together real fast smuck closer I think you, I think you run into a weird thing with that movie because Elaine May so celebrated rightfully but certainly that fourth movie of hers you know is a really hard nut to crack and it ruined her career in a very shitty you know misogynistic way forever and it's like not not to make this episode even longer but they literally create the phrase director jail for her and she never gets out of it she's never she has yet to make a a feature right she's she's made documentaries but she's never made another feature it's just it's incredibly sad yeah um well, I'm, I'm going to follow that up with nonsense then, because that's all <laughs> really solid stuff. But uh, and I hate picking a film that's early on in a career because do I know that do it, do it. But uh, well, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna pick the one that you're thinking of. But oh. I, I I I truly think he's terrible in the the Roman Spring of whatever in that set nonsense. Um, and also Tennessee Williams apparently said that was his favorite adaptation of any Stop of his stuff. Stop it! And it, I was just like, oh, is that Tennessee? True? Yes. Yeah. Holy He said it was his favorite film adaptation of his work. Really? Yeah. But I actually have to hand it to 1962's All Fall Down. Oh, um, yeah. He's bad. His character, Barry, Barry Willard, and it, once I, like, like I said earlier, he's a psychopath. Um, he's manipulative. <laughs> the first time you meet him in the movie, he's in jail because he literally scarred a woman in a bar. Mm. And this is supposed to be your like kind of redeemable, like, well, not redeemable, but like in the end, you're supposed to feel bad. You're supposed to be like, oh, he's pathetic too. And it's like, no, this man is a monster. And I don't think Beatty is in control of what he he's capable of and it's actually goes back to a point you made much earlier dan which is he's very much in that sort of rebel without a cause mode he's he's really pulling that forth and it never works i never 
understood why anyone in this family looks up to him. I never understood Angela Lansbury's like psychotic devotion to him. I never understood why Eva Marie Saint, who has the best name in the film, Echo O'Brien, so isn't <laughs> in love with him like enough to to torpedo her life essentially. It's just bad. It's not a fun watch. And on top of that, it's 110 minutes. So it, it just takes forever to get where it's going. And yeah, he's, he, you know, he's no James Dean. Why is it you never married anybody? I guess I'm just backward. I never made out with anybody. You know, something tells me not to answer that question. Why? Because you might get sore. Am I right? Well, would that be so terrible if you made me sore? I'd just rather skip it. I want to know why. You know why. Because you never loved anybody else? You're pregnant, aren't you? He's no James Dean? Is there anything else that we think kind of like scrapes the bottom of the barrel? I have to say, I didn't like dollars. I just learned today that like... Dollars is the way you say that movie. Like, what the fuck? It's a dollar sign. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah, I dollars. Re- you said. Um, go I, ahead. I, re- I really hated Promise or anything. I, I, I totally got what it was going for. It never worked for me. I do think I Promise or anything as a movie. I really, really disliked. I do think some of his acting with the kid is pretty inspired. Actually, oh, yeah. I don't think he. That's why I didn't give him my yeah, one star review. Same, He's same. fine in it. Yeah. it's a, just a bad. The movie is not great. The only game in town I didn't like. Um, yeah. Mickey one is worth watching. It does not work, but it's kind of an interesting yeah. time piece. But like Kaleidoscope really doesn't work for me. I, I like, was just gonna say and Kaleidoscope because it's just so boring. Yeah. I like dollars more than than I think you guys did, but um. Um, and then the last one is, you know, Love Affair um, yeah. is just misguided. Him and the director didn't get along. It's Catherine Hepburn's last performance. Um, it's just not – you want to talk about being too old for a movie. I think that's almost the I... worst example of it. He's too old for that role. I think that brings us into our five-star reviews. So why don't we move into them so we can talk about the stuff that we really liked. So it's about performance, you know, you know, more than anything. And so I a little hemmed and hawed. And I have to say, I do think I'm just going to pick Reds because, you know, like we said, I think of Beatty as a producer first, kind of. And I do think with Reds, you get his John Reed is so indelible. I think in that character, he is able to touch on every single thing he does well, right? Like the politics, the hypocrisy of progressive politics, the challenges of trying to run shit from the top, right? Which is like whether that's producing a movie or trying to, you know, write a book slash be active in a revolution, right? Like it's all in that movie. So it was. I kept coming back to it and just being like, it's Reds. I mean, Reds is his magnum opus. It's like, you know, it's his Citizen Kane. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just the movie that I think we're never going to get a movie like that again. Right. And, and, and he is so perfect. And I would even agree that Keaton's better which speaks to Keaton's performance, you know, but, but I think he gives it to her. It's funny because I was thinking about this. One of the things I love about Keaton's character in the movie is she's sort of allowed to appear 
kind of pathetic too. Like she has all totally. the, that, that sort of, you know, love and reverence for Emma Goldman and Emma Goldman's just like, yeah, get her. the yeah. fuck away from me. And, and in, a, yeah. in a way she's doing the Warren Beatty. And yeah. And, and, and here's the last thing I'll, I'll say just about Beatty's a performer. The thing he does better than anybody probably ever Right, and this is, you know, God bless his limited range, but this is so crucial, right? If, like, Tom Cruise is the best runner in the world, and we all know he is, right? I think the thing that Beatty does, right, he does the what? Like, right, like, you know, like, like he's like, what, what, what? right? Yeah. Which is to say, right, his John, his John Reed is constantly disappointing Diane Keaton's uh, Louise Bryant, right? Yeah. And he plays it like a earnest boyfriend who's trying his best and really earnestly doesn't understand his faults in the way that she understands his faults, in the way that she understands he's killing himself, right? Literally, right? Because John Reed, I mean, literally died young because he couldn't stop working, right? So, like, there's such a tragedy in that way that Beatty gives you that kind of, like, what, what? I'm doing my best. Like, what? What's the problem, right? And you're like, no, you, you know what you're doing. And, like, there's an earnestness to Beatty being like, no, I actually, I actually don't know that I do know that, right? And I think it's such a weird thing to say, but if you've seen Reg, you know what I mean. And I think it's, like, so perfectly encapsulated in that movie. All right, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You want me to come with you to New York? Uh, yeah. What as? Huh? What as? What do you mean, what as? What as? Your girlfriend? What does that mean? What as? Your girlfriend, your mistress, your paramour, your concubine? Why does it have to be as anything? Because I don't want to get into some kind of emotional, possessive involvement where I'm not able to... I want to know what as. It's nearly Thanksgiving. Uh, why don't you come as a turkey? You're right. It's, 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 it is his masterpiece. So, good pick. Thank you. My pick is for a movie that I hadn't seen um, even though we had talked about it before. Um, and it's 1998's Bullworth. Oh, um, yeah. Good pick. I think Bullworth is just such a fucking gutsy movie that, like you said, Dan, has aged pretty well. I think. Um, is... I said that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay. So fuck you, Dan, actually. <laughs> Gavin, I was gonna let it. I was just gonna let it happen. I was like, love it. Yeah, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you don't know, Bullworth is about a senator uh, named Jay Bullworth, and he's at the beginning of this movie um, depressed and suicidal, and he basically puts out a hit for himself, and is going through this like crisis of self. He's, re- I don't know, coming to realize that the game is fucking rigged all around, and. He's essentially a politician who's decided to stop playing the game and he goes to all these events and he's just kind of like shooting the shit and being like, oh, yeah, well, we did that because we don't care about you and we don't care about voters and we're, you know, um, held to lobbies and and I'll tell you whatever the fuck you want to hear. And in the end, I'm going to do whatever I want anyway or whatever these um, lobbyists want anyway and starts. um, He meets Halle Berry and her friends. Um, who are, you know, these black young women who are cool. Um, this movie also, I think, is just like the perfect encapsulation of that millennial vibe. You get these moments where Warren Beatty is fully rapping and wearing, uh, you know, baggy clothes. And he's, there's a really great scene where 
he's dancing with Halle Berry <laughs> at this like after hours club. Um, and they're just like flicking their tongues at each other while they're dancing around. And I was just like, holy shit, Warren Beatty said, I give no fucks. There's this zero ounce of pretension. Um, and again, I think this movie is just all in service to his message, which is just that like, you know, and, and especially coming from, from him who is so pro Democrat, pro lefty, is good friends with fucking John McCain, but he's out here saying, actually, it's all bullshit. We no no one cares about you. We're not going to take care of you. Um, there's like some magical realism stuff going on that I think is really cool. Um, and and I even will say that there are parts in this movie that make me cringe, but I think that's the fucking point. Totally. Yo, Bank of America, this table over here, Wells Fargo and Citibank, you really very dear. Loan billions to Mexico and never have to fear, because taxpayers, taxpayers, take it in the rear. Really was into Bullworth. The ending is kind of also very, like, lyrical and... Um, you know, sad, but hopeful. It, it's, it gave me a little bit of Angels in America, you know, like kind of like call to action type stuff. Um, yeah, find your song. Yeah, and Beatty and Beatty and Barry having the chemistry they have is like such a, is such I a, know. Shocking. it's such a credit yeah. to their movie stardoms each. Yes. You know, yes. Just like both like pillars. Like that scene like, in the car is like so lovely, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe playing it safe and maybe picking a bit of a boring pick then because I actually do really agree with both of you. I think both of those are five star performances all the way. But I think the thing that I connected to the most this time was Bugsy. And and it surprised oh, me. Nice. It re- re- yeah, it really surprised that's me. I'll be a, honest. That's not a safe pick. That's a good. That's a bold pick. I think. Yeah. But I I think one of the interesting things, and as we mentioned before, Bugsy is this gangster Benny Siegel who basically creates the dream of Las Vegas, and you know he wants to to build up the mob through like a quote unquote legitimate money business where the, really they would be in charge of essentially the political machine of the United States and Bugsy's this violent uh, for lack of a better term, he's mentally ill um, man who wants nothing more than to just get his way. He wants to control everything in his, in his life, including his mistress, Virginia Hill, who he wants to make his wife, even though he's currently married. Um, he's constantly borrowing money from Myra Lansky and Mickey Cohen. And, you know, he he's way in over his depth, but he's just so confident about everything that uh, that he wants and, and thinks he's going to succeed no matter what. And I think it's such an interesting character study, especially when you build it off the back of playing this Clyde Barrow character that he was so famous for. This is this is the Clyde Barrow who is completely in charge of all of his functions and still can't pull it off because right. he's still deranged. And yeah. And I think it's I think it's just really fascinating to watch. And especially, obviously, like he has great chem- chemistry with Annette Benning. And it's shocking how good because sometimes when you watch a couple in a movie and admittedly, they weren't together fully yet. But when you watch a couple in a movie, you're, you're like, huh? Well, well you, Gavin, three years later, same I know. couple. I know, and uh, yeah, that's a perfect example. They're not great in love story. No, they don't have a great love affair. They don't have Sorry. great chemistry in love affair. Yeah. No, not at all. But here it's palpable. It's hot. Like yeah. you really her performance, him feeding into it, it's really fascinating to watch. There's 
I think the thing that sold me the most out of anything, though, is there's a brief 10-minute scene, but it is a 10-minute scene, towards the uh, about an hour into the film in which he is throwing a birthday party for his daughter. Oh, so good. <laughs> and all of Meyer Lansky and his men show up to get their money back and like in a very threatening way. And so he's running back and forth in a ridiculous chef hat trying to like light the candles on his daughter's cake and talk these people down. And at the same time, he's just rambling on and on rambling about how he wants to kill Mussolini because he's rounding up all the Jews and it's brilliant. And I I think if you removed that scene from the movie, you would have a brilliant 10 minute short film (laughs) on its own. And so that was the moment I was like, Warren Beatty's really good here. And I think I was shocked because we did see a lot of performances where he's not great. Good. Great. When would you be ready to get started? Uh, When I get back from Italy, I'm going to go over there in about a week. So, uh, that plus however long it takes. However long what takes? The assassination of Mussolini. Who's going to assassinate Mussolini? Come here. I will concede, though, I do think both of you picked better full-on performances, but I think there was something about the fact that he didn't direct this one and only played it, but still... I don't know. I oh, you're right. He's the he's the farthest outside of his comfort zone here, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I? And can it, I? It's. Can I read? Because I just looked it up. Can I just read the line that Virginia Hill Annette Benning says uh, that I was referencing earlier? She yes. goes, "The rest of the time, you're just some good-looking, sweet-talking, charmous, and fuck-happy fellow with nothing to offer but some dialogue. Dialogue is cheap in Hollywood, Ben. Why don't you run outside and jerk yourself a soda?" <laughs> the jerk yourself a soda thing is the best. You're right about you're right about Beatty. He's really like it's probably the last time in his career he's really pushing well no Bullworth, Bullworth. It, it's it's the second to last time. Bullworth and Bugsy are like the last two really strides as an actor. Cause even as much as I like rules don't apply, he's kind of you know, he's Co- not he's I don't coasting. Think he, he's coasting for sure. <laughs> yeah. He's coasting for sure. And he's more director in that movie because Alden Aaron Reckon and Lily Collins are the stars. But but um yeah, Bugsy and Bullworth are two great late period performances. Uh, was there anything else that you guys saw that you particularly loved? I mean, I'm just going to say right away that I think his performance in Shampoo is so good. Uh, even for a movie I don't particularly love, yeah. I think he's great. Shampoo's you know? iconic, and you got to mention it because it's probably his most iconic role, I'd say, other than Bonnie and Clyde. And then, yeah. and then, um, I mean, how could you not mention? Bonnie no, and Clyde? no, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde being number one. But then, but then, uh, I love him in Parallax View. I think he's a. It's a great kind of lead. One, one of your, one of his few straight down the middle successful leading man performances and then i mean i know that i love the dichotomy here but i i truly love him in ishtar and i love that louis i i, I love that was your one star pick because it it speaks to the movie like i love i love everything he's doing in ishtar and i would agree, agree i i like dustin hoffman less and i think if you like it ishtar it's probably because of what Beatty's doing slash the Grodin pieces. But, um, so I would recommend that with the caveat of like, there's a good chance you'll agree, you'll agree with <laughs> the reviews are mixed. They are mixed to negative. I think for Ishtar, but yes, <laughs> I don't think he's that good in 
um, Splendor in the Grass, but I like the movie a lot. You know yes, what's funny yes. is I th- I think he's great in Splendor in the Grass, but I think it's the last time he's great until Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> and I think I think I just, the thing with Splendor is like Natalie Wood. I think is so great in it. Yeah, that, like, that's that's what it was for me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But before we move into our fast forward, why don't we do our mixed reviews review? Okay, so my one star was Town and Country. Uh, my one star was 1987's Ishtar. And my one-star review was 1962's All Fall Down. And my five-star review was Reds. My five-star review is 1998's Bullworth. And my five-star review was 1991's Bugsy. All right, let's zoom into that fast forward. Okay, he's not really doing that much. I mean, besides making the odd uh, Hollywood appearance, uh, it is his birthday, as you mentioned. So please entertain us with the number of people he supposedly well, slept so, with <laughs> yeah so well so this is from biskin's book right so take this with the biggest grain of salt obviously but biskin like does so basically Beatty has said right he couldn't go to he couldn't go to sleep at night without having sex right Whoa. so biskin takes that calculus and is like well by that math the numbers gotta be basically 12,775 women. Okay. Like, was he like, okay, from 18 every day on? Well, that I think that's kind of what Biskin's like intimating. It's like, you know, before Benning, right? Like, like right, you know, right, and right. post whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, he was 20 when he was with, you know, Joan Collins, right? Or, you know, so, right. you know, Leslie Karen and, and kind of the early, the early, the early ladies. Um, but, that's just a crazy number. Let's just say, true or not, it's a crazy number that you could even hear and be like, uh, maybe. You know, Wilt Chamberlain, <laughs> obviously another famous Lothario who claimed to have far more in his in his canon. Um, but not his canon. I mean, his <laughs> canon and his canon. His canon and his canon. Oh, you've really mastered the single entendre. Hey now, <laughs> they calculated that you've bedded thirteen thousand women. That, that was a, a very busy month. <laughs> You would have to live a long time to be able to do that, and there's... Well, hello! (laughs) And uh, nobody twice. And and, uh, quite a number of people every day, but these numbers... the answer to your question is no. Is there anything else you'd like to see Warren Beatty do? I mean, he's 86. I I don't think. I mean, if he wants to come out and produce something, but I I don't know if, you know, I don't want to see him playing old shampoo anymore. I don't want another town and country. And I, and I worry I mean, that's what would be the next thing. Yeah, he was gonna star in Megalopolis, which is the Francis Ford Coppola movie that is finally hopefully getting made. Obviously, he wouldn't be the star now so like a cameo in that movie would be great though i would doubt he would say yes i always love the story this is i think a pretty famous story when pta paul thomas anderson approached warren Beatty about playing jack horner in boogie nights yes um warren Beatty was famously confused because he was convinced that paul thomas anderson was coming to warren Beatty to play dirk dickler which i think is such a great that's amazing such a great encapsulation of ego and you know you know johnny cannon over here just thinking yeah. he's oh, yeah. you know not not <laughs> 60 but 25 and, and and here's an interesting thing that i just i've been thinking a lot about this because we just did you know two episodes ago we did a sydney poitier episode and 
I think that they're like interesting mirror reflections of oh, each interesting, other because yeah. because I think Sidney Poitier had the talent to back up everything he did, but I also think that he was a really smart man who would have been more control in control of his career were he not a black man in an incredibly racist system. And I think Warren Beatty, while complimenting him on both being smart and, and being able to get his way, I think a large part of it is, is that he is, he's a white man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I was it, it, like, they even both get their co-writing credit for the first time around the same time. But like most people don't know what the movie for the love of Ivy is, but a lot of people know what shampoo is. Right. So it's it's one of those things where I, I just kept going back mentally back and forth. And obviously, like, we have you at a disadvantage, Dan. You weren't here for that episode. Even if you did listen to it, you, I did. you didn't I participate did. in it. I did listen to it, yeah. You know, you didn't participate in it. So, like, I feel like that's kind of a trap for you as a guest. And I, I don't mean to set it. But it, but it is one of those things where I, I just I kept feeling like I was like, man, I, I wish Sidney Poitier had had the chances he, you know, right. Warren Beatty had. No, it's well, it's well observed, actually. That's a great comp, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like to Warren's credit, you know, he he obviously had all the opportunities in the world, but like, wow, you know, he. I think there are people who have all the opportunities in the world and do, yeah, like, still squander them, yeah, yeah. Squand- <laughs> like, and and you know, for all of his philandering or whatever, I, I think he's a stick to quintess- quintessential like Hollywood star and reveled in the drama of the social life and all of that kind of like a Joan Crawford, you know, like was just living it up and, but, but also, you know, maybe knew his limits and, and also as far as like, you know, acting went, but, and, but also had his eyes just really set on this art he wanted to make. And was just like, really, you know, who else could have made reds? Who else could have made Bullworth? Like he had, that's the the thing that I'm, I'm taking away from this episode and, and, and all these movies is, you know, he had these like insane good looks. He could have just like fucked his way to death, you know, whenever he wanted. But instead, he he loved one thing more, and that was you know these big ideas and making movies about them. And um, and for that, you know, I'm grateful. And you know, it, it, to your point, um, Gavin, you're absolutely right. You know, and and that kind of is like is is overwhelming to think like what more could have Sydney done, and and he did so much. Um, but I'm I'm glad and and we're lucky that Warren uh, didn't just squander it and flame out like I think probably a lot of very handsome actors do. Yeah, there's one quote I I, I grabbed from a Variety interview ahead of uh, Rules Don't Apply coming out from Diane Keaton that I thought was interesting. The interviewer asks, "Why is nearly everyone charmed by Warren Beatty?" And Keaton says. He is curious about everyone. He is so seductive in that regard. He makes you feel like you're the only one, the only person that matters, that you are just absolutely fascinating. And Mm. I think that quote is so observant when you think about kind of what we were saying before, like a good con man, right? Like a good producer, right? Who, you know, I'm a producer of smaller things and I can tell you like there's a con involved in all these things, right? You are fighting, you know, every angle of everything, right? And I think being curious or, or at least seeming curious is is a big part of the battle. And I think he really speaks to that, to doing yeah. that better than anybody as as a person in his personal life and his professional life. It takes some self-awareness and knowing and um, I appreciate that about him. I don't know what he should do next. A part of me is like, is he still active in like 
politics? Is he still active in like trying to get shit done? Um, I imagine he's got a buttload of money. I think he's just you know supportive of his children more than anything, right? If yeah. You have, like Annette Benning obviously is still working. But right, right. yeah, I mean, I I don't think he does too much, right, Gavin? I don't think he does too much these no, days. No, I don't. I don't think he. I think he's mostly, you know, retired. Retired. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't think that's a bad place for him to be. You know, he he made his mark, and there's only so much somebody can do in their life. You know. Yeah, and when you've made like some of the absolute bangers he's made, it's like yeah. Once again, and I know we've said it a billion times this episode, he changed Hollywood. He did. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up Warren Beatty. So why don't we take this moment, Dan, for you to plug your stuff? You're oh, yes, yes. involved in so much. Well, it's worthwhile to like you. get it all out there because it's all great. Well, yeah, thank you. So obviously the Film Stage uh, website, check that out, thefilmstage.com. Uh, me and Conor O'Donnell, we run the B-Side podcast for the Film Stage. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. We talk about movie stars and movie directors not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous but the ones that they made in between and we just did an episode on ethan hawk that'll be dropping soon with our buddy luke hicks if you're listening we just talked to james kenny who rescued the final film of the late peter bogdanovich called squirrels to the nuts um which that's a very interesting episode so yeah we're doing stuff like that uh, very exciting stuff. And then I also run a little podcast, um, story podcast called Fathom, which you can find on wherever you listen to your podcast. On Twitter, it's at Fathom Stories. Gavin has contributed to it. Some of our best stories yes. written by Gavin himself. We're going to have to get oh, Louie on to do a voice. Louie. We're gonna have I don't to get have the you voice on. That you guys have. You no, guys but we're have... gonna. No, but it doesn't matter because you've got such a great voice, and we're gonna have to get you on to play like, I don't know, like a cool villain or something. We gotta like write something oh, for you. We love that. Yeah, yes. we'll figure it out. But so anyway, that's they're like Twilight Zoney episodes, five to ten minutes. Um, as you're listening, there's a new one that just dropped it either either right at the end of March or early April. Check that out. All great things. Seriously, if you do not follow Dan Mecca online, you really should. He has a hand in one million pies, and they're all worthwhile. Oh, thank you. So. Oh, yeah, at but, DJ Mech on Twitter, right? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to contact us, you can do so by finding us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. If you want to email us, you can write us a little love note at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Guess what? We're also on Instagram. Just type in the underscore mix underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to the rest of our episodes, just as you've done this whole episode, you can find our back catalog on any major podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Audible. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating, write us a little review. We'll read it on the show, just like we did at the top of this episode. Thank you guys for listening so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan, for coming back. You are always welcome here. An honor. No, the honor is all ours. Love it. And so until next time, we will see you in two weeks. See you guys later. Bye.